And welcome to another edition of Racing Through Time NASCAR Podcast. This covering the 1986 season right now. Ricky Wittenberg along with Andy Waddell. And this week we are going to cover three races, Andy. Three Los races. tres amigos. The 1986 Pepsi 400, the Summer 500 from Pocono, and the Talladega 500. Now, last time we joined you during the apocalypse, uh, we said we were going to do the Pepsi 400 next. Little did I know that was only a 40-minute video clip on YouTube. So it's kind of hard to stretch a whole show into a 40-minute clip. Then the Summer 500 wound up being a 35-minute clip. So... We decided to do three, and then Talladega wound up being almost four hours. So I don't know how long this show's going to be, but uh, buckle in or listen to it in segments. Yes, I spent more time in Lake Logan than this the whole thing took to watch. So here we go. Yeah, now if you found the show, you kind of know where we're at. Uh, we'd like people to join our group. We've got a Facebook group called Racing Through Time. So just uh, request to join, and we will approve you there. You can follow me on Twitter at... OPR Word, um, all of your information in motorsports news at On Pit Road. The uh, podcast is on Apple, iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, and a couple of others. So, what we're going to do is we will jump right in to the uh, the first race, the Pepsi 400. So, the, uh, maybe this was before it was called the Pepsi 400. I actually think they call it the Firecracker 400. Yeah, I believe you're right. It was the Firecracker 400 on this one. It's weird. I'm so used to calling it the Pepsi, and now it's Coke Zero or Coke Zero Sugar or whatever. Or shoot, one of the YouTube channels actually had the Pepsi Firecracker 400, so I have no clue. Oh, it doesn't matter. We're we're, we're not getting a dollar from Pepsi anyway for this, so it doesn't matter. Um, we joined the broadcast, and immediately wow. I'm hoping that coronavirus just takes me now because we have Sam Posey. With Al Troutwick. Yes, and the outfits they were wearing for a moment, I thought I had clicked on the wrong video and was fixing to watch some kind of gay porn. Well, there's that. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. I think Posey has eyes only for the dude from the ABC broadcast earlier in the year. They definitely wasn't experiencing the social distancing that they needed to. No. So, they go over the drivers that can compete today. Um, when they get to Morgan Shepard, Sam Posey says... <sighs> He never missed a line while on his way to winning Atlanta. Now, Andy, of all the people that I would think that never missed a line, Morgan <laughs> Shepard would be lower on that list. Yeah, I think he might have jumped the gun on it. He might have been wanting to talk about Richmond maybe, but uh, yeah, Morgan, it was the 80s, but I don't think he did. Can you see Morgan with his pet raccoons doing <laughs> copious amounts of cooking? Well, you got to remember, we did have somebody in Tennessee had a pet, had a pet attack squirrel that was on meth. So <laughs> it's in our DNA. It is. I mean, we talk about Florida people. Tennessee people are not far behind. Yeah, the, the battle will be legendary. Uh, so we, uh, we see a shirtless Kel Yarborough who's on the pole. And I don't know why, but right there, Kel Yarborough just put me in the mind of Harley Race. And you can't be unseen once you have that mental image. Sorry. Yeah, no, Kel Yarborough, a rugged, older guy, shirtless. And then later we get the scene frolicking at the beach. Yes, but he had some talent around him that time, so. Y yes. Um, so we go straight into the race broadcast here because they have no time to waste since it's only a 40-minute clip. And we have Elliot driving by Yarborough and Baker 
and they make it three wide early, side by side, Bill Elliott and Baker, and uh, Baker actually leads the first lap, and they go to, they went to commercial <laughs> break after the first friggin' lap. And it wasn't because of a caution or a wreck or anything like that, it's just like, and there's the first lap, and we'll be right back. Wh- yeah. Wait, what? Yeah, I mean, as much as we want to complain about how many commercials they take now and broadcast, I mean, we really have it made. I mean, you can watch a full broadcast race, and they'll go 14 or 15 laps, and yeah, you'll miss some here and there, but I mean, back then, one of the biggest four races of the year, arguably, the Firecracker 400, you're having to watch it in a 40-minute little clip. Well, you got to figure, this is one of the races the president's showed up for i mean it's a big deal and you got 40 minute clip and they go to commercial right off the bat it's crazy it is crazy right back from commercial we have buddy baker uh earnhardt elliott benny parsons and kelly yarborough on the top five we have earnhardt going by baker to grab the lead aj foyt with an engine problem and to the pits we have Buddy Baker back by Earnhardt. They almost made contact, and then we have Earnhardt back inside of Baker. Poncho Carter spins and doesn't hit anything, so he can continue. And uh, one of the things they did break in here during this race was they did have some uh, little clips from different drivers talking about the 4th of July. So the first one is Dell Earnhardt. I think the statue stands for liberty. You know, they, they talk about... Uh, uh, immigrants or ever what? I think it's more for liberty than anything. But uh, I don't see any other country I'd rather live in than here. The things we get to do and uh, uh, the system we've got is, I think, pretty good, and uh, it, it works for everybody. It doesn't just work for or half of them or some of them. I think it works for pretty much the same for everybody. What better on the Fourth of July than hear Dale Earnhardt talk about liberty? Yes, yeah, slow lady liberty. You gotta love it. So we uh, we're back to green. From the caution, I guess, from Poncho Carter, Earnhardt and Tim Richmond pacing the field. We have Buddy Baker getting by Parsons for third. There's about seven or eight cars in the lead draft. We have Ron Bouchard who gets hard into the wall after some contact. And old Sterling Marlin uh, sent him in. And the fans just scatter from the fence. Oh, yeah, they were way too close. It's something we don't think about nowadays. But, I mean, they are actually hanging on the fence when all this stuff goes down. It's a wonder more people wasn't killed and hurt. Oh, no, no doubt. I mean, these cars are going by over 200 miles an hour, and that fence is not going to save you if you're right on the other side of it. Well, they showed a close-up of it. The fence looked like it was four-by-four squares. I mean, come on. That's not... There's a lot of stuff can go through that. Oh, yeah. I mean, just one little piece of debris, and you're in big trouble. Um, We have... Yes, the race is a, just a pleasure to follow. I have no idea. They don't show you how many laps are complete. We have no. They don't talk about how many laps are complete. So all we get to see is just the pieces they put together. Uh, Kel Yarborough, this is where he's frolicking at the beach. Yes, money can buy you happiness. Yes, it can. Uh, Dale Earnhardt, Tim Richmond, Jeff Bodine, Buddy Baker, and Daryl Waltrip are the top five. Your 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 guess is as good as ours on what <laughs> lap we're on. Uh, Tim Richmond drives to the lead. We have a top, the top three together trying to pull away. Uh, Buddy Baker about a second back, and then there's another pack of four or five. We have Bodine inside of Earnhardt for second, but he can't get by. And then we get to hear Tim Richmond actually talk about Indy cars. 
I've always regr regretted not uh, really whipping them guys in the IndyCar ranks. You know, I really wanted to beat them and beat them good, uh, like I do here and like any other race car driver would want to do. But, but I left there prior to really, you know, making a big mark in IndyCar racing. And, and I'm sorry about that, but I'm not sorry about uh, coming here to the Winston Cup Series. This is where my style, my desire as a race car driver, I think lies more than any other form of racing because of the close, in tight uh, length of the race. All three of the top three drivers right now are in their 30s as we have so many elder statesmen also in the field. And Dale Earnhardt reclaims the lead. And Tim Richmond just on blast, he said he hated that he didn't get to whip the IndyCar drivers kind of like he already does there in NASCAR. I can see why he was so polarizing back then. You either loved that dude or you hated him. And, and let's face it, you can't go wrong with a NASCAR crowd than talking to bad about them overgrown go-karts. Oh, no. You, you, for, for Richmond, that's, uh, that's one way to warm up to him. At the same time, bad-mouthing the rest of the field. So, yes, he uh, not, not worried about leaving IndyCar. The NASCAR was more his uh, style. We come back from a commercial and... We have Jeff Bodine getting by Richmond for second. Bill Elliott in the pits for a green flag pit stop. We have Bodine inside of Dale Earnhardt for the lead and by pretty easily. I make a note that the um, 88 of Baker is really fast. He he was kind of out of the draft, and he ran him down by himself. Yeah, they, he didn't have a lick of help coming up through there, and still I don't know if they was racing side by side or what, but it didn't do him no good. No, Baker, he had a good car. We go in car with Richard Petty, and he's got the towel in his mouth, and they then they question why he doesn't wear gloves. I have a theory. Mm -hmm. I believe it's because they wanted to get out of the car quick if there was a fire, so they wanted the gloves off. To, you know, the old school drivers wanted the gloves off so they could unbuckle their buckles quicker. I mean, it could be. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you'd think, well, and the gloves are different now. They've got the sticky gloves that they they wear that's also flame retardant. So exactly. they help you grip the wheel better. I mean, there's no way, even if you wasn't worried about flame, that you wouldn't wear gloves now. No, because, I mean, now they're more or less like the mechanics gloves. You know, they're real tight on the fingers. you got good dexterity. There's a big word. And all that. Back then, they were more or less welding, wearing, or wearing welding gloves. Yeah, I'll get it out. Yeah, yeah, they were not wearing the um, the gloves they wear today. We have a caution flag, no no idea why. Um, then we get Jeff Bodine with, uh, he's now talking about freedom. Well, I'm, I'm very patriotic. I love this country. Uh, I, I Luckily, I guess, haven't had to fight for this country, fight for our freedom, but my father did. He got wounded in World War II, but he survived, and I'm very thankful for that. He was looking through, I think it was Reader's Digest. They're so, showing some pictures of soldiers coming into the port with a statue behind him. He picked himself out of that photo. I think that, that maybe means something. It meant something to me. A neat story. <laughs> All I can say, neat story. <laughs> yeah, it was so we, unpolished back we, in. We, fi we find a picture of, my, of his dad, literally from World War II, and like an old photo in Bodine's Reminiscent. Neat story. Yeah. You know, he just like, saved the world and, you know, they Neat story. beat the Germans and kept taking over and, yeah. you know, not a big deal. Neat story. Yeah, neat story. 
I've got to look into Sam Posey's eyes a little more. Um, we have back to racing and Buddy Baker trying to get by Bodine, able to do that for the lead. We have Earnhardt, Sterling Marlin, and um, Benny Parsons out in the front. We have Earnhardt by Bodine for second. So the Baker in the lead, the other three, four cars in the lead draft. Rick Wilson has now spun out in the uh, four car, and they're thinking that it's going to rain. They come back. I guess it has rained because there was an extended break. We have the top five of Marlin, the 22 of Allison, also Yarborough, Baker, and Tim Richmond were the top five. We have Bobby Allison all over Sterling Marlin for the lead. They're about two seconds ahead of Cal Yarborough. It's a pretty good battle for the lead. Um, we get Allison by Marlin, and then Marlin back by Allison a lap later. And this, I'm pretty sure that just some of these little flashes here in 1986 is what got Sterling Marlin noticed a little more. I mean, that Haas Ellington car was not a car that would run up front. But Sterling, when he got a chance, he would always put it near the front. He would outperform the car. Yeah, they, you always hear about the uh, road course specialist, but I've never known a road course specialist, quote-unquote, to win a race. But there are people that are specialized in the super speedways, and that seems to be where they shine for one reason or another, and he's one of them. Yeah, Marlon just always had a knack for running well at the plate tracks, and that probably helped him get a ride. Um, we actually, we'll talk about that in the next, before the next race. Um, Marlon was auditioning for the, the 11 ride, uh, one of the newspaper articles said. so. I think everybody was auditioning yeah, for the we'll, 11 we'll, ride. We'll talk about that maybe um, before the, the, the summer 500 race, because there was a lot of people looking to line up for the Junior Johnson ride. Um so now we've got the 22 and the 28 to the pits and Rodney Combs in the two cars spun out and we have a caution back from a break. Now it's Tim Richmond, Buddy Baker. We have Marlin, also Hillen and the uh, seven car of Kyle Petty in the top five. We have Allison and Earnhardt just ahead of the leaders trying to stay out on the lead lap, but they're on the tail end of the lead lap. And we, I, this is so hard to follow. With the pit, the caution messed up the pit stops from what I can tell. And that's why Earnhardt and, um, and uh, Allison were on the tail end of the lead lap. But we don't know. They don't tell us. We don't exactly know. We don't have a clue what lap we're on. It's just <laughs> this is one race where it's like, oh, God almighty. I'm so glad that we have, even though we complain about all the banners and advertisements, you never n wonder what lap it is anymore. No, and I mean, they, even when they're doing the rundown of the top 10, they still don't tell you where they're, what lap they're on. No, I mean, they could at least say 60 laps into the Pepsi 400. Here we are, whatever, but they don't do that. We get some uh, jostling for the lead. Buddy Baker gets by Richmond. We have uh, Bobby Allison and Kel Yarborough. They're right there, but they're both trying to get a lap back. And now we have Tim Richmond with his thoughts on America. Well, you know, there's a lot of problems, and, you know, I, I haven't been to a lot of other places in the world, but I'm, you know, I'm just glad to be alive, first of all. Uh, and second of all, I'm glad to be in America. Uh, you know, what can I say? I, I'm, I'm one of the luckiest people in the world to be able to be an American. And uh, I'm just glad I have a lot of other good people to be the same way. And 
not only that, but uh, I'm an American stock car racer. Ah, man. What the heck did you put the funeral music on in there for? That's kind of weird. I think that was their uh, outro bumper. But when he oh. says, just lucky to be alive, that, that hits hard, knowing what's coming for him. Yeah, and that, yeah, that that was kind of weird right there. Yeah, almost premonition. Um, We have, let's see, back to the race, and we've got Buddy Baker, Tim Richmond, Marlon, Waltrip, and Hillen are the top five. They talk to Buddy Baker's co-car owner, and he thinks that they have the car to beat. And I, from what little bits I can tell of what's going on in this race, I agree with him. Oh, yeah. He, he was just driving by himself. He, he didn't need no help. He didn't use no help. He just, wherever he wanted to go, he was going. Yeah, and then we have some smoke in front of the leader and a, a big moment for Dale Earnhardt. Right up next to the wall, and today Buddy Baker is making it work right now. Baker with Richmond still, and smoke right in front of the leader. It's Dale Earnhardt, and he's, I guess he's lost the engine smoke pouring out of the car. You can see he's losing control. Oil must have poured onto the rear wheel. Dale Earnhardt in big trouble. And remember, that he is the leader in the championship. That is Connie Saylor uh, slowing as a result of that incident. Dale Earnhardt for a split second there, out in real trouble. Tim Richmond has emerged the leader. Now, remember, this is a race to the line with the yellow flag out. Buddy Baker right there, slowing down. Sterling Marlin has moved into second spot. But right now, it is Tim Richmond who has crossed the line and has grabbed the lead of the Firecracker 400 following the crash. A spectacular one right in front of the leaders, which sent them scrambling by Dale Earnhardt. That was a big hit for Earnhardt in that crash. And Dan Walter... Yeah, let's blame Walter for that one. You dang skippy. It's the mid-80s. We're blaming Walter for everything. Man, um, but the, the, then Richmond, he didn't back down. This Remember, this is way before we had a, a frozen field for caution. He just drove through it, and Baker slows down, and it was a mess there when uh, the caution actually came out. Kind of makes you wonder if Harry Hyde was down there going, you can drive through it, Tim. I know it in my heart. Yeah. Yeah, is I mean Days of Thunder, we get the whole inspiration then for the next uh, uh, the next race. But there's driving through that smoke and getting the lead, and he gets by Baker, and then Baker pits for tires, and this is that weird thing where they can pit when the caution comes out, and but they're not really the pace car hadn't picked them up. I don't know. It's that this whole '86 pitting thing is. Um, I still haven't figured it out. I, yeah, something about when the caution comes out, you got to wait for the pit car to be out of the pit or the pace car to be out of the pits. And if it ain't, and I don't know, it's weird. Yeah. I, it's it's definitely um, interesting, however, they come to the conclusion that they can let cars pit. We have the running order now. We have Richmond, Sterling Marlin, Waltrip, Bobby Hillen and uh, Ricky Rudd, and we're about to have a three-lap dash to the finish. So at least now, after all this, we know that the race is almost over, and uh, we'll just we'll let the uh, the incomparable announcers take us home. following the crash of Dale Earnhardt. 
That did not hurt Earnhardt. He is okay, but it did hurt the feelings of Buddy Baker, who lost the lead as a result of it. Richmond, now you must think, might be thinking back to what happened at Indianapolis. Back at the end of May, look at Richmond now as he cuts to the inside of the track, trying to cut off his pursuers, trying not to let them draft footstream in down that back straight. Remember that in Indianapolis, Kevin Colvin first on that restart with just two laps to go. Bobby Rahal right behind him. And Kevin Colvin did not have enough momentum when the green flag came back out here. Jim Richmond ensured himself of having enough momentum almost by jumping the green flag, as I see it, uh, in order to leave his pursuers behind him. It is interesting to note, Sam, that there's a lot in Jim Richmond's favor right now. Three things, as a matter of fact, jump to mind. Bobby Allison, 22. Cale Yarborough, 28. Bill Elliott, number nine. Those are the three cars behind him, and they are one lap off the pace. Sterling Marlin is seconds behind. Richmond has a clear track in front of him. Also interesting to note that the top five cars on the restart, it was Richmond, Sterling Marlin, Darrell Waldron, Ricky Rudd, and Bobby Hillen Jr. had never won at Daytona before. Right now, Richmond looks like he's well on his way to winning for the first time in Daytona as he gets the white flag. One lap to go. Yes, but things aren't that secure. Did you notice him slide coming off that last turn? In other words, he is running it right on the limit, cutting across in front of the others down that uh, back straight move, very reminiscent of Neil Bonnet in his prime, trying to make sure that nobody follows him. Right now, Allison is following him, might be able to slip screen past. It doesn't matter. Allison uh, not in a position to win a lap back. And in fact, Allison looking gentlemanly to me, not actually making a bid on Richmond. Richmond looking good. No one seems to be emerging from the pack for a last-minute challenge. Richmond into the tri-oval. Richmond across the finish line. The checkered flag to win the 28th running of the Firecracker 400. His sixth win, five of them on super speedways. We had rain, we had yellows, we had a couple of crashes. 50 driving and mistakes. Yes, and we saw the mixture of aggression uh, on the part of Richmond, tempered uh, with good sense and an awful lot of talent. A good mixture to win this race. Richmond followed by Marlin, Bobby Hillen Jr., Waltrip, and Petty in Daytona. We're finishing 10th. Let's go down to victory lane. Were you aware that Bobby Allison was a lap down? <laughs> yeah, I was. I knew he was a lap down, and Bobby, you know, being a gentleman he is, you know, he didn't, he was going to try to crowd me and get by me if he, if he, you know, could have with like three laps to go. But when we got with like two laps to go and, and one lap to go, um, you know, he held his line and actually helped me. He didn't hurt me. So I want to thank Bobby, too. We just hung in there all day, and, and some breaks went our way, and, uh, the Folgers car just, just came through. You know, we uh, it was a little tough all day. I, we, I was just trying to get in the top ten there for a while. Then uh, we got to the fifth spot, and then uh, then I had to get from fifth to first. And luckily, everything worked for, to my advantage, and unfortunately, to some disadvantage for the other guys. But I'm having fun. Happy birthday, America. Those tubes around Tim's neck beat his cool suit, which certainly worked today. The average speed, the slowest in the history of the firecracker. There were eight cautions for 58 laps and a couple of wrecks in which no one was hurt. 29 cars finished and the margin of victory 1.39 seconds. For Sam Posey and Dr. Jerry Punch, I'm Al Troutwick in Daytona.
Hey, before we talk about anything else, he just said for Dr. Jerry Punch, do you recall Jerry Punch ever talking during this race? I, I don't remember seeing him. All I saw was Posey and whatever the other feller was that was intimate with Al him. Al Troutwig. Yeah, Troutwig. Got it. Um, so, Andy, Richmond wins. Um, this is back in the day where the lapped cars were inside on the restarts. It didn't matter how many laps there were to go. That kind of, I mean, he may have won anyway, but that definitely cemented his win because he had three really fast cars that jumped in line behind him and got separation between him and Sterling Marlin. Yeah, pick and roll, baby, pick and roll. Anybody, the, anything you can use to win the race and not wreck a bunch of people, it's fair game. Yeah, so Richmond wins the race, and um, Sterling Marlin comes home second in the Haas Ellington car. Bobby Hillen Jr. third, Daryl Waltrip, Kyle Petty, Ricky Rudd, Joe Rutman, Rusty Wallace, Phil Parsons, and Alan Koike gets a top 10 here at the Firecracker 400. There was eight cautions for 58 laps, 32 lead changes, uh, margin of victory, 1.35 seconds. There were 14 cars that actually finished on the lead lap, 15 do not finished in the 42-car field. This was the last race Dale Earnhardt did not finish due to a crash until 1994 in Michigan. That's because he was going to race whatever he had left. To, as long as it had four wheels and was on the right side, he'd go and drive her. Yeah, that's that's because he was doing the wrecking and not the wrecky. <laughs> well, that, that, you know. Part of it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so... Um, so is there any takeaways that you can actually get from this race, Andy? Yes, it was a lot like my honeymoon <clears throat> because I didn't have a clue where we was at during the race. Mm -hmm. I was having a good time, and it was over way too quick. <laughs> uh, indeed. I mean, I guess. I don't know. Was it? Were you there? <laughs> if I was, I don't remember it. <laughs> Let's no. put it that way. Well, then who was running the camera? Oh, no, no, Sorry. I uh, hope your wife doesn't listen to this show. I'm uh, sure she don't because she knows how yeah. stupid we are. Yeah, she so just like, that ain't my man. Uh, uh, all right, so um, the next race on the docket, the race that inspires Days of Thunder, or a lot of inspiration from Days of Thunder comes from this race here. It's the 1986 Summer 500 from Pocono. And thank God we've got Mike Joy and Jerry Punch. They're in some type of studio. This is... They're probably not even announcing this live. This is probably, you know, they've got the tape and they're dubbing it over because it's taped later or whatever. So, but at least we've got some competent people announcing this race. Yeah, it looks like a, I don't know, offshoot of ESPN or maybe a predecessor or something. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Not sure what exactly was going on. We, um, we go to Harry Gant and he says his car was running good. He's looking forward to a good day. And we have to remember that Gant... He had a vicious crash just a month earlier in Pocono because Buddy Arrington decided it would be a good idea to <laughs> pull out on the track in front of the field. Yeah, broke ribs, deflated lung, ripped his perineum. It was awful. It was uh, it was bad. Um, very foggy. But the hell with that. We're going to go race it. And when I say very foggy, I mean the fog movie foggy. It You couldn't see crap. No, but you got to remember, most of these boys are southern boys. We drive with mud on our windshields all the time anyway. We don't need to see. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm only imagining that um, 
that this is just like the the Daryl Waltrip effect. They they figured they need to get the cars out there to stir up the fog, and if they blow the they can blow literally blow the fog off the racetrack. Well, if not, if people don't believe this effect, just look at your maps when the weather's going on, and look at the interstates. It always stays above or below every time, especially here in East Tennessee. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Um, so we get uh, we get on the start here, and um, Harry Gant will lead the first lap. And lap two, we have Jeff Bodine getting by Harry Gant out of the tunnel turn. We also have Terry Labonte by the 33. There's top eight or nine cars together in a line. And uh, Jerry Pudge here, also he remarks that the cars are lifting the fog. So that vortex theory is coming into play. I really think that does have something to do with it. They're, they're going through the air about 200 miles an hour on the front straightaway and 160, 170 on the other straightaways. They're blowing the fog up. Well, if you don't think you can do it, just get behind a couple of tractor trailers and then try to pass them real quick. Yeah. You can feel the wind off of that. So these guys are doing four times that speed. Yeah, and they, there's 40 of them. So we uh, we get the 44 car of Bodine, or the 44 car of Labonte by Bodine, and then Bodine back around him. There's a big draft here at Pocono. Um, Joe Rutman has hit the wall. His car is definitely busted up. He tr- gets in the grass trying to get out of the way, but that will bring out the first caution. And, I mean, Rick, they, Rutman's car was done when they show him on the record coming in. You could see his pit crew getting ready, but, boys, there wasn't nothing. I don't think you could do anything to fix that car. No, when the back wheel is coming out and back in, out and back in, something has went horribly wrong. Yeah. We have a restart with Bodine and Waltrip pacing the field. And a few laps into the restart, Waltrip gets by Bodine, and so does Richmond. The three-car of Earnhardt also right there. Green flag pit stops. Waltrip and Earnhardt are out front during the cycle. Bill Elliott has blown up, and we are under caution. We get back from break, and the green flag is out with uh, Bonnet, Bodine, Richmond out front, and Richmond takes it three wide for the lead, and we have some problems. Water down in turn number one. He spun well off the racetrack. And Richmond is loose. Hang on. Around he goes, collected by Richard Petty. Pontiac, and what a good run Richard Petty had had earlier in the day, and now that all will go 
Chevrolet back out onto the racetrack. That access road leads into the infield, and the retaining wall is what Petty's car ended up into. I mean, when you see something like that, you just have to naturally assume his race is done. Oh, yeah. He, he's, it's got to be over with, but he, the way he kept it alive, that was amazing. I mean, and the people driving around him at the same time, that it, it was close. Yeah, I mean, it was a combination of luck, skill, and everything in between because Petty slammed into him, but he hit him in the one place in the car where it didn't, it didn't affect his aerodynamics as much. Exactly. And Petty, I mean, having a good race, and then all of a sudden he's wiped out. Um, another big hit for Petty there, and that was just a that was just a bad crash uh, for Richmond. But he's able to come back, and this is the scene, Days of Thunder, because they don't show it during the broadcast here. But Richmond, I guess his car was knocked out of gear or something wasn't right, and he had to drive the car backwards on the yeah. track to get into the pits. This is that race. Oh, I think they do show that one because oh, they, they do they, show part they of do it? show just a little bit of it because he's going down the back straight or the short shoot, and he's doing driving backwards. Oh yeah, they they do catch it for a second, but he he literally had to drive the entire rest of the way around backwards, and then spin it around into his pits, and they was able to fix it. So there was a lot of spinning around in the pits, but we'll get to that. Yes, um, we're back to racing, and we have Daryl Waltrip in the lead. Um, by the 15 car and then we have that we thought Richmond's wreck was a big one but it wasn't the big one we now have the big one they head up over the tunnel alongside Walter that is Morgan Shepard and they'll go into oh Shepard is loose Earnhardt tags him and Shepard goes into the wall beside his car. He has fallen to the ground. He is laying there beside the car, prone on the ground, and the safety crews have been dispatched. Bonnet screw went hard into that inside wall, almost the same exact spot where Richard Petty hit it three laps ago. Neil may perhaps have had the wind knocked out of him. Now he's propped up on one elbow as a member of the safety crew comes to his aid. Let's take another look in replay. Earnhardt gets sideways. That's pardon me. That's Morgan Shepard, and Earnhardt gets tagged in it. Katie bar the door. Here is Benny Parsons. Watch the impact of Bonnet sideways. Bobby Hillen is there. Benny Parsons. Bonnet's car comes back on all four, but the damage has been done. The car remains intact, but Bonnet took some kind of impact in that seat. Hey, for today, but you know, just sometimes you got to learn how to run when you lap down. <laughs> what exactly did happen up there? Well, the lap cars really was just trying to. You know, run Daryl out here, the leader there, and uh, they drove in up the back stretch way, way over the head, and uh, they all started wrecking and sliding. And uh, I backed off. I saw what was going to happen when they went in, and I see that it was going too fast. And so I backed out of the throttle and, and tried to avoid everything. And it seemed like I'm ready to go. And then Morgan come flying out of the grass and got me again. That's Harry Gant. He was involved in the incident up in the tunnel turn. We just were racing and came out of the tunnel, and I think the 47 car and another car were sideways. and Everybody was trying to get their their car slowed down, and I was on the inside of Neil, and he turned left and forced me to turn left, and we both got in the grass, and then from there it was just 
slipping and sliding and hitting the wall and hitting other cars and uh, and just everything going crazy. You know, I think Neil's okay. Uh, he was complaining about his ribs, but he, I think he's going to be okay. Well, there, um, maybe Morgan Shepard did do a lot before this race, Andy. Um, could have been, but daggone Bonnet, he hit that bank and come back off of it. Looked like the Dukes of Hazard up on two wheels before he finally landed it. Ooh. Yeah, and then he gets out of the car, and I mean, as soon as he stands up, it looks like he's dropped by Mike Tyson. I mean, he's just down yeah, instantly. And and that's another thing. You, you I know we mentioned this before, but you got to wonder how many of these guys had CTE by the time it was over with. Oh, God. with all the concussions, and you know, to them, oh, I got knocked a little loopy. Well, every time you hear that, you know it's a concussion. Yeah, I got my bell rung. No, bell rung. Yeah, yeah that's did, another one. You, no, you have a concussion, and we don't know that much about it back in 1986, but. I would say that was a, you know, Morgan Shepard was a lap down, overdrove the corner, runs up into Waltrip, and then just, uh, he, that was a that was a big one for, for Pocono. Um, so we're back to green, and Tim Richmond is in the lead ahead of Waltrip and Bodine. They wreck pretty quickly as Dale Earnhardt then crashes out of turn two. Then we hear that NASCAR says, due to bad visibility, they're going to shorten the race. So, four to go on the restart. Bodine in the lead, and we can't see anything now. I mean, go watch this race on YouTube. This is the point where you, the that may have worked when the race first started, where it blew the fog out, but the fog said, screw that. And yeah. uh, the fog was taking over once again. Yeah, we're going to double down on you. You think you're going to punch us out? Ain't happening. So... We have uh, Richmond inside of um, of uh, Ricky Red for second. We have the 11 right behind the 15. Bodine gets about a second ahead coming down to two laps to go, and we will let them uh, bring you home for the last two laps. Richmond has the advantage. 
1.2 miles of racing left to go. Here's Bodine to the inside. Jeff Bodine takes it away in the short shoot. The lead has already changed hands twice on this last lap. Bodine to the inside. Richmond is up alongside. If they come off the turn dead even, it'll be the drag race down the straightaway. Here's Ricky Rudd. Rudd drafts off Bodine and jumps to the inside. They leave Bodine in their wake, and it's Richmond and Rudd across the finish in a virtual dead heat. I couldn't call it. I couldn't either. I tell you, what a run by Ricky Rudd. Where did he come from? side down the short shoot. They broke a big enough hole in the wind that Rudd was able to draft right up behind them. Let's take a look at it again. Here's the battle down out of turn two in the short shoot. Richmond is high. Bodine on the inside. Both cars slipping and sliding. As they run side by side, the battle you don't see, there it is. There is Rudd coming out of turn three. Now they're slipping and sliding and Rudd moves them to the inside. Hard on the throttle. They come for the line and checkered flag. I tell you, here they starting to spin out and he slipped under me and, and we both went down into three side by side and we kind of touched and bobbled like I guess you're supposed to in the Winston Cup Series and and uh, I just got the throttle a little bit quicker than he did coming off of uh, off of three there and then all of a sudden Ricky came out of nowhere you know because of Jeff and I uh, dogging for it there uh, Ricky came out of nowhere and, and snuck in there for I thought the win almost but uh, luckily the the photo finish showed it was us. I tell you, what, were you worried when they stopped both you and Ricky side by side? Did you think he won it? Well, I was pretty sure. I mean, you know, but then again, the angles are, are quite, you know, strange sometimes uh, from inside a race car. And, and I wasn't, I was on a one to ten, I was on a one. One or two on, on the sure side of uh, that we won it. Uh, Ricky and I really didn't know, though. We went down in turn one and just, we kind of looked at like, did you win or did I win? And he did the same thing. And I tell you what, that... That's that's fun winning them like that. that. That's a NASCAR finish. But it's sure fun watching them like that. Richmond. That, that was a NASCAR finish. Man, with two laps to go, Richmond gets by Bodine and they go back and forth. Then on that last lap, Richmond slips up out of the tunnel turn. And I'm pretty sure if that would have been 
you know, Jeff Bodine and Dale Earnhardt side by side, or Tim Richmond and Daryl Waltrip side by side, Tim Richmond and Ricky Rudd, they wouldn't have made it through that third and fourth turn. They would have wrecked, but because they was teammates, I think they both was able to keep it off each other just a little more than normal, and that's the only reason there wasn't a wreck coming to the line. Yeah, because they definitely wasn't practicing their social distancing. They could have probably shook hands coming around that turn. I know, and then Ricky Rudd just comes out of nowhere, and it looks like he's going to win the race. I mean, he ducks down on the inside, and it was a photo finish. And when people talk about, oh, you didn't have close finishes back then because there's only two cars on the lead lap, well, right there, you had a three-wide finish for the win. Yeah, and how many passes for the lead was they in the last lap five or six yeah, I, mean, I mean come they on went back and forth several times just on the last lap that just don't happen that was that was a race yes I mean, it's, it's it's a shame that there was only like 40 minutes to see of it that's the best race you barely saw yeah the best race that you didn't see yeah and, and not just because there's only 40 minutes <laughs> but because it was also so foggy it didn't matter that there was a tv camera there you still couldn't see anything so richmond wins the race ricky red second bodine third daryl waltrip bobby allison Terry Labonte, Dale Earnhardt, Kyle Petty, Tommy Ellis, and Rick Wilson. Eight cautions for 33 laps, 20 lead changes, .05 margin of victory, um, seven cars on the lead lap, 16 cars did not finish out of the 40 starters. Andy, what do we, uh, what do we think about the Pocono, Pocono race? Good Lord. I, I think you sometimes forget how much talent Richmond had. I mean, daggone. They sat him and Bodine both side by side the whole time, back and forth, and didn't put neither one of them in the wall. Yeah, I mean, not just Richmond. Bodine had a, he, he was a will man too. And Rick Hendrick had to feel good about his driver lineup going into 87. Because right here is about the time that it breaks that they're going to be a three car team in 87. It's going to be Richmond, Bodine, and Darrell Walter. Yeah, I mean, how, how good do the stars have to align for this to be your two drivers and then you're planning on adding another one? I mean, come on. That's like stacking the Yankees. Yeah, which, which happens. Well, so, they were Yankees, so. Yeah. All right, so um, any, uh, any takeaways from Pocono besides uh, this is the, you know, the precursor to Days of Thunder? No, it's it was a good race. Like I say, I wish we could have seen more of it. I wish we could have seen more of what we did see, but, you know, Things happen. Things do happen, and we won't tarry too long on Pocono because we have got the 1986 Talladega 500 coming up, and this is a whole show in itself, but we're about to give it to you (laughs) one way or the other right now. And before we hit the the mine and Andy's portion of the Talladega race, I was able to get an interview with one of our contributors to our Facebook page, Mr. Hallie Emery, who is actually at... This race at Daytona, so we're going to get his thoughts here before me and Andy go the, to do the deep dive. And special interview segment here, Ricky Wittenberg, with Hallie Emery, one of our contributors to our uh, Facebook page. And how are you doing tonight, sir? Doing good. How are you doing, Ricky? Oh, well, after we got this uh, computer glitch fixed out, doing a lot better than I was a couple hours ago when I was trying to pull my hair out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, technology is something good, isn't it? It's, it's always something. So um, you are a diehard nascar fan um like we are and uh absolutely so just tell people a little bit about yourself um i've been a nascar fan since 1983-84 um huge collector i'm into the the trading cards the die cast and even have a huge collection of videotapes of races that i personally recorded from 
1985 through about 2016. I eventually switched over to DVDs about 2010, and I have DVDs up to about 2014, 15, 16, somewhere in there, and it just became too hard. But yeah, Die Hard would be a good way to explain explain my uh, fandom of NASCAR. Yeah. So what what got you into NASCAR? Did you just was uh, your family, your dad, your mom, somebody, uncle, somebody that uh, was in your family get you into the sport? Um, I honestly really don't recall. The earliest race that I can remember watching was a Nashville race on uh, the Nashville Network, coincidentally enough, in 1983. Um, The earliest memories I really have of that race was just Tim Richmond, Darrell Waltrip, a few of those guys going around uh, the track racing. I don't really recall any specific um, family members that encouraged me. It was just something I was organically drawn to. Well, that's awesome. Uh, my my parents both liked racing, so they kind of drug me into it. I think my mom was nine months pregnant and had me at a almost had me at a dirt track. So so uh, I guess I was just born into it. Yeah, I, I never did. I have uh, my dad drag raced a little bit as a hobby back in the '60s, and so there was always a racing tie with him. And I'm sure he watched it um, before I was born, you know, maybe on ABC Wide World of Sports or CBS Sports Spectacular, whatever they may have had on at that time. But for me, neither of my parents ever encouraged me or dragged me to watch or forced me to watch NASCAR. It was just something that just kind of was on the TV one day and it stuck with me. Um, And they kind of both became fans with me as well. And as my fandom kind of grew as a child, um, dad owned his own business and he was on a business trip in Alabama in 1985 and, and called me and said, I bought you a birthday present when I was down here. Well, I didn't think it was going to be tickets to the, the 85 Talladega 500, but when he come, come home with the tickets, that was, a, that was a super big surprise for a nine-year-old boy, as you can imagine. Oh yeah, I can only imagine. I, well, I, I was able to go to a few Bristol races, um, as a kid when I was five, six mm-hmm. years old and we went to the dirt races a lot, but, but, um, just going to a NASCAR race was special because it was the guys you saw on TV. Absolutely. It's uh it's a whole different experience. Um, because when you see it on TV, you're only seeing a portion of the track at a time, unless you have a blimp shot or an aerial shot that shows the whole facility. So you don't get to see how large a facility like Talladega is. I go to Indianapolis every year for the brickyard Indianapolis, of course, is a two-and-a-half-mile track. Talladega is only .16 miles longer but looks twice as big in person. Yeah, it, the the visual um, impressiveness of Talladega, I've, I was able to go once. My father-in-law was a uh, ARCA driver at the time, and um, I got to go down for an ARCA race. It was a, the Cup weekend, so I got to see mm-hmm. all of it. It was really cool, but I'll never forget coming through the tunnel into the infield we were coming into the infield as they were having truck practice and you could feel the tunnel vibrate above me. So wow. I knew there was truck, there was car, something on the track and uh, I mm-hmm. come out of the tunnel and I was probably like a kid in a candy store. I was literally hanging out the window, turning around and you just see the trucks up on the bank, just blow, just blazing by. And that's like a memory that I will never forget the, the sheer speed of Talladega. I, I think for any race fan, the first time that you attend a race in person There's always something that you remember. For me in 1985 going to Talladega, it was the huge rainstorm before the race because they were getting ready to do driver intros, and there was just a cloudburst that just came and drenched everything. Of course, the skies cleared up. They was able to get the race in, but that's the the biggest memory that I have of of that first race is just this huge rainstorm coming in. 
but of course, as an eight or nine year old boy, just taking in everything from the sights, the smells, the cars, this was pre-restrictor plate. People have to oh, realize yeah. that. This was before they had the restrictor plates or uh, whatever it is they do now that I can't think of what they call it now, but it's not restrictor plate racing. But those cars were coming in front of you well over 210 miles an hour, maybe 25 feet from you. So it was quite a rush. Uh, I can only imagine. Because when I was there, it was like 180, 185, and that, sound, that seemed fast enough. So a car coming yeah. at you going 210 will definitely get your attention. Yes, for sure. It was, uh, and, and you didn't have the the forty car freight trains like you have now. When they when they get going, you definitely had a disparity of the field. You had maybe a group of ten or eleven guys that were up front and had funding to do it. Then you had middle of the pack guys, those guys that ran every week. You know, uh, anywhere from thirteenth to twenty fifth, and then you had those those guys way 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 in the back of the pack that were going to get lapped every ten laps. So after two or three laps, the field was strung out almost all the way around the track. But the, So we're going to talk about, obviously on the show uh, this uh-huh. week, we're, we're recapping the three races, but I wanted to bring you in because you were in attendance for this 86 Talladega, uh, the Talladega race that we're going to cover, the Talladega 500. And um, I just wanted a perspective from, from, you know, anything that you could share or your memories, but okay. just... Uh, you know, watching this race, um, I'll give a spoiler before the people here, me and Andy, talk about the race because we're going to go into it in pretty good detail. It's a almost a four-hour YouTube video because we caught the uh, raw satellite feed. And, man, I'll be honest, that may be – it really may be one of it's, – it's probably my new favorite race in 1986 that we've done so far. And it's one of my favorite races I've watched ever. It was just a – it was just a crazy race. It, it definitely is uh, probably one of the top three best races of 1986. I think you kind of have to put the Spring Richmond race in there with it, oh, yeah. and then I don't know what the I don't know what the third race you'd have to throw in there maybe to make a top three. But it was it had everything that you could imagine, just lead changes. It had uh, excitement. It had just just anything that makes makes up any component of a race. That's that's what it did, and it it uh, being there in person, uh, the first thing was it was incredibly hot that day. I think the CBS might have said on the telecast that it was uh, 95 degrees or 105 degrees or whatever. And Neil Bonnet remarked he wanted to he wants to find that cool spot because it's it's more it's hotter than what it said it was. And I've I've just never seen that many people sit together that long in that hot of a of an atmosphere. So. NASCAR made a good decision when they decided to take Talladega out of the summer. I never, I just couldn't imagine Mm -hmm. the heat in Alabama that time of the year. I mean, we get that kind of heat here in Tennessee sometimes. And when Mm -hmm. it's a hundred degrees and you, people Mm -hmm. don't realize when you're at a racetrack and there's a hundred thousand people, I've been at Bristol when it's a hundred degrees with 120,000 people and it's not a hundred degrees. It feels like it's 120 degrees and the air doesn't move. It's just so miserably hot, but the, and to to be at that race, I can't, I can't imagine. I mean, we think of the fans in the stands as bad as they had it and the drivers. I can't imagine trying to seal the cars up with no air coming in. And, yeah, some of them was running cool suits, but, my gosh, it's that was a mountain to climb well, that day. Well, well, there's two things there I want to touch on real quick with you. You, you did make a good point there of the heat, um, of them moving the race from uh, July to October. But here's the second thing that a lot of people probably didn't realize is Daytona was only three weeks before this. 
So you were having two restrictor plate races in one month, and those are specialty cars. So if you tore it up at Daytona, you were going to struggle at Talladega. Now moving that Talladega race back, it gives the teams time to rebuild or, or you know, fine-tune their cars for Talladega. Oh, yeah, that's definitely a good point because it was. Uh, yeah, you don't think of that, but two, two pl- well, what we call plate races in three weeks, but two mm-hmm. super speedway races in three weeks in 1986 when when these teams didn't have gosh you know six or eight cars you know they had one or two good cars or a, a car for each type of track and if you tore up your day the car at daytona it was going to be hard to fill the fast car at talladega and, and and you're right if you had six or eight cars you were a big team because maybe petty or childress or junior johnson or some of them big teams at that time they had six or eight cars and that's literally all they had Oh yeah, yeah. So the um, the Talladega race here in '86, uh, to me, the thing that sticks out the most, or one of the things that sticks out the most, is just the sheer amount of lead leaders. Uh, you didn't see this kind of. Yeah, you would see it more at Daytona and Talladega, more guys that has a shot mm-hmm. to get up and lead a race. But this was just ungodly how many different comers and goers there were. I mean. Every five or six laps, there would be a new guy that you, you wasn't even in the top ten, and then all of a sudden he's a contender. Yeah, absolutely. Um, back in the back in that day, Winston, of course, was the series sponsor, and they had this traveling board that went with them, and they had these uh, placards that they would put up on this board with the driver's number. And every time a different driver would take the lead, they would put that number on this board. Now, if the driver dropped out of the lead, his number still stayed on this board. Well, at the end of this race, they had about nine or ten placards on the ground in front of the board because there was no more room to hold the placards. And and you think about this, there was 26 different leaders in that race. There was only 41 cars, I believe, maybe 42 that started, and that's more than half the field. It's not very often that 50% of anybody leads a race in any series. No, and I mean, I think some of the most competitive years in cup racing was the early 2000s when there was more parity and that we had a pretty good plate package then. And even then, I don't, I think it would be hard pressed to find 26 guys that could lead a race at Daytona or Talladega. So to see 26 right. in 1986 with all the mechanical issues that, you know, we talk about that every week, but mm-hmm. people just don't realize how many, how many drivers would drop out every race due to engine failures and, you know, dropping oil lines and all this, if those guys would have been in the race, the the Mm -hmm. race could have been, it was already spectacular, but just imagine some of the guys that dropped out due to wrecks and and blowing up that would have, if they would have still been in the race, it's hard telling how many more lead changes they would have had. Oh, Oh, without question. And if you look at the leaders of that race, one lead, one driver that did not lead was Cale Yarborough. He never led in that race, so there could have easily been 27 leaders. And I think there was two or three other guys that maybe could have led, like Rusty Wallace in his own car. Of course, he blew his engine early. Mm-hmm. Um, he could have led. He could have led as well. So you could have had close to 30 drivers leading that race. Well, AJ Foyt. I mean, he wasn't a, a contender mm-hmm. because he had so many issues, but he every restart there for a while, he could hang with the leaders. So there's always a shot that. AJ, if he would have been on the lead lap, he mm-hmm. may have been able to lead the race. AJ always had a strong uh, speedway package. Um, he ran really good that day. He he lost the lap early on a pit stop. I can't remember exactly what happened, 
but I know it was within the first 20, 25 laps, I think. He had a maybe a cut tire or his handling was really bad, and he came in and had a pit stop. He lost the lap and never could make it up, but you're right. On the, on the restarts, he was right there all the time. He'd hook on to Earnhardt or he'd hook on to Davey or he'd hook on to somebody else, and just he would just ride there with him. So he, he had a hot rod that day for sure. Yeah, so what do you um what was your t- uh, I mean as, as a kid it's harder to have the takeaways besides mm-hmm. remembering being there. But going back mm-hmm. and watching this race now w- mm-hmm. we, we we're I'll actually let me start here. When you were in the grandstands, I would imagine you were probably in front of a couple of those crashes, especially the Petty crash. Was you, were you in a good view of that that wreck when that one happened? I, I was sitting in the trioval. We were only about three or four rows up, so we were very close to the track. And about the time, if you watch the replay, when Petty's engine starts to blow and he starts turning sideways in the trioval, that's about where we were sitting because we uh, were in a big smoke screen just immediately. No, oh, so you really didn't see it. You just saw the smoke. Yeah, we seen the smoke, and of course everybody stood up, and then you heard. You hear that gap hit. when he hit the inside wall, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, there was like three or four people. If you watch the replay, and he hits that access road, and of course, all that water splashes up, and his windshield uh, comes out of the car as well, people were saying that he flipped because it looked like he flipped from where we were sitting. And I remember people just screaming, going, oh, my God, he flipped. He turned over, and then then when they brought the car back, there was no sign or indication that he had flipped. Then when I went back home and got to watch the race that we had recorded – you, you got to see it better that it was just a long, lazy slide, and then he kind of hit that inside guardrail and spun around and went across that access road. Yeah, and when he hit that water, it threw the water up so high, people probably, mm-hmm. uh, they may have saw the water and thought the car was mm-hmm. up in the air because of the way that shot the water out. Yeah, and if, and if you go back to the 88 uh, or the 84 Firecracker 400 at Daytona, uh, when Doug Hevron had a, a crash, it looked very similar. So that's probably why people, like you said, the water flying up, the debris flying up, but just just the optics of that crash was very similar. Mm-hmm. All right. So going back and you you've watched the race, obviously, I'm sure several times. Um, who did you think had the best car that day um, without any of the mechanical issues? Who was who was the best car at the track? I, I think Dale Earnhardt had by far the strongest car that day. He led early. He led quite a bit. And he had a really good handling car as well. So that's Talladega is not typically a handling track, but Dale was he was super strong that day. And just also looking back, I know Terry Labonte also had a really strong car because he came from the back of the pack not once but twice because he was black flag during that first caution. So he had a pretty strong car that day too. So if those two wouldn't have had the engine issues, I think that there's a good possibility Bobby Hillen would be a non-winner in Winston Cup. Oh wow, well, yeah, yeah. The um, I mean, Hillen he done what he had to do, and he was there when he needed to yeah. be. But uh, mm-hmm. there was there was a lot of good cars that were taken out due to different accidents and all that. So the um, I want your take on what happened because I'm sure me and Andy's gonna talk about it. The um, the Harry Gant wreck where Hillen I don't know exactly if he was blamed. Uh, Harry Gant kind of in, he never really would say who he mm-hmm. was mad at, but. On the restart, I'm not sure what the deal was, but Phil Parsons was using Gant up as a lap car, and I don't know if maybe them touching um, slowed mm-hmm. Harry down a little bit. And Bo- I, I'm pretty sure Bobby did get a hold of uh, Harry's rear end. That's what actually mm-hmm. sent him around. But I did, was there some sort of an issue between Parsons and Gant that we just don't know about? Were they having problems that day? Um, as far as I remember, there was no issues going on. I know Phil had lost a lap early. 
because um, he did piggyback with Dale Earnhardt for quite a while. Um, and he was always the first car on the bottom, it seemed, on the restarts. And Phil had a really strong car that day as well. He had finished fifth in May at that race, so it wasn't like he was a surprise contender. But he lost that lap, and then he just never could get it back. And then if you go back and watch that restart, even all the way maybe coming through the trial while coming down to the green flag, he was inches off of Gant's left side, and I just thought that was weird and strange. Now, my personal opinion, going back and watching the the race several times and knowing what we know now about aerodynamics, it was almost like Phil was in a way side-drafting off of Harry's car, and that may have slowed Harry's momentum just enough because post-race, Hillen said that Harry did slow and he did pop him just enough in the back, and that's what got him loose. Yeah, and uh, besides the – I'm not going to really blame Hillen for that crash, um, but – but we'll talk about it during the race. I mean, Bill Elliott and Dell Earnhardt was definitely two guys that was not happy with Bobby Hill on that day. So he must have been making some no. other moves that we just we didn't catch during the TV broadcast that was maybe a little hairy. Yeah, that that's what I kind of got from Dale Earnhardt's interview was um, that Hillen was kind of driving a bit erratic that day. But if you go back and look at Bobby's super speedway record that year, he had a uh, fourth at Daytona, a fourth at Talladega, and a third at Daytona. So it wasn't a fluke for him to be running up front. I just think that he was so young and this was his first time in a competitive car all year that maybe maybe he was getting a little bit, um, I, I don't have the word for it, but he was just maybe getting too excited and, and just not paying attention to maybe some of the things, more of the nuances that the veterans would have been paying attention to. Yeah, because he's not up there every week racing with those guys. That, like they say, you're, right. if you're not used to racing around these guys, you don't know how they're going to race. Right, absolutely. And and Hillen, you know, like you said, he was really strong at the the speedway tracks, and he probably realized that this was his last chance of the year, mm-hmm. more than likely, to win a race, or at least the best yeah, chance last... he had to win a race. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you one hundred percent there. All right, so um, it... it was it was just an interesting race. I mean, I'm sure we're gonna we'll talk about that in long form um, on our show. Is there any other things that? It really stuck out to you during uh, during this broadcast. The the one thing, if you go back and if you listen to him at the beginning of the race, that uh, coming down for the green flag, Ken Squire does predict the winner. And I'll be honest, as as a nine year old boy down there, I felt all weekend Bobby Hillen was going to win. I think I told my dad that Bobby was going to win, and he just kind of shrugged it off, <laughs> like ah no, he's not. But um, it, it was just one of those feelings that you have. Um, Bobby ran a great race, like you said. He did what he had to do. Um, I didn't know during the race. Now, there's two driver changes that happened. Um, right. Obviously, we all know Rusty got in the Ricky Red car, and then Dave Marcus got in the Phil Barkdahl 73 car. Neither one of those, I didn't know either one of those happened at the race because they really didn't announce it over the PA system. Right. So, and the, the Barkdahl, if you watch the broadcast, I'm not sure... Mm-hmm. I would imagine you would think that he would have known that this was happening, but he looked mad when he was getting out yeah. of the car. I'm not sure why, but he didn't look like he was very happy. No, no, it definitely, I think it was a whole confusing situation. And if you if you think about this, both cars were sponsored by Helen Ray. Phil's was actually owned, Phil's and Dave's cars were owned by different people. Dave's obviously, Dave Marcus owned his own team. Right. And I don't know, and I don't know if Phil Barkdahl was the owner of the 73 or if, is Helen Ray and her husband owned the 73, but 
Yeah, I'll have but to look that was and see a very who's actually situation. listed as the owner. Yeah, well, I'll ask you about that before we uh, wrap up. What did you think? I mean, you didn't know during that day, but what do you mm-hmm. think about uh, two things? Davey Allison in the 12 car. I mean, mm-hmm. you could kind of, I know it's a super speedway, but he's got the pedigree. I can't, I really can't believe Junior Johnson didn't look at that and say, man, that might be who I need to pick for 1987 when all these rumors and we're going to, I've got newspaper articles. We're going to talk. We'll probably have already talked about this, but you know, we've mm-hmm. got junior Johnson was talking to a lot of different people. Sterling Marlin thought he was going to have the ride. They was talking to rusty. They was talking to Jeff Bodine. They was talking to Tim Richmond. Um, I don't know if junior just, uh, and then he, it's not like Terry Labonte. He's a, a, a bad driver. I just, right. I, I, I don't know why Davey Allison maybe didn't get the look there because he, he showed that he had what it took to uh, get it done in the cup series. Well, well, I think he kind of nailed it there that, that it was a speedway race and it was just kind of a one-off and it was kind of a wild card race. And if you look at how many people over the years have done good at Talladega, you know, including this race with Bobby Hillen and look at Phil Parsons and, and Ron Bouchard and Ken Schrader and other guys that got their first win, but their careers never really materialized. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing with Davey you have to look at that, uh, he had a lot of ARCA experience. He probably had as, as many laps on that track as a lot of the the cup drivers that were maybe four, five, six years into their careers at that time. So Talladega was his backyard. And, and I was kind of thinking about this earlier, that you look at certain drivers excel at certain tracks. Jimmy Hensley was always called on at Martinsville to be a relief driver. And that's kind of the situation here. Uh, I think Junior said, who's available that would be a great fit for this track? Oh, Davy Allison. This this is his backyard. He knows this track. He seems to run pretty smooth here. Let's put him in. And I just think his lack of Cup Series experience may have kept him from getting that right. If he would have had maybe two full years in the Bush Series, I think that would have made a big difference. He just didn't have enough all-around experience for Junior to say, hey, let's let's put you in the 11 car next year. Yeah, and I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. The other thing is mm-hmm. Rusty Wallace getting in Red's car and you know, mm-hmm. usually, I mean, Red's car had been running decent the the whole race, yeah. but I don't think that he was, you know, right up there with a contention to win. And Rusty drives the car to the front, and he has a good shot at it there at the end of the race. That was pretty impressive to jump in Ricky Red's car and, and take it all the way to the front. Oh, absolutely. And the fact that it was a completely different manufacturer, oh, Rusty yeah. was running that Pontiac 2 Plus 2, which was a horrible car on the speedways. And then Ricky was, of course, in the Thunderbird, which was just the amazing car. And I think Rusty kind of showed, hey, that this these Fords are fast. And that's something you won't ever see today is a driver jumping from manufacturer to manufacturer in a race. It's just oh, not no. allowed anymore. No, they, they hardly will even let them do team to team. But, I mean, manufacturer to manufacturer, yeah. that's never going to happen again. I, I think Ross Chastain's was a special situation this year. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a little different. I mean, they, they gave him mm-hmm. a shot, and they knew that that was, you know, a special circumstance. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, that's uh, that'll give us a pretty good uh, entry into our Talladega mm-hmm. discussion here with Andy. Um, yeah, I know you've got the YouTube channel. Why don't you go ahead and plug that for the people if they want to check out your uh, card, your YouTube card channel. Okay, awesome. That's pretty cool. I appreciate I appreciate that. Uh, my channel is called High Octane Cards, and what I do on the channel is I open up packs and boxes, and I just review different cards. Um, as, as I get more subscribers, I'm at 69 subscribers right now as we speak. Uh, once we get to 100 subscribers, 
I'm going to do a giveaway. I've got three three different cards that I'm going to give away. One of them to the choice of whoever wins uh, wins that drawing. Um, but I review racing cards, I do wrestling cards, and I also do baseball cards on occasion. So it's just just a fun little channel. I'm having some fun with it, uh, making some really good friends throughout you know YouTube and other outlets. So it's it's been really nice. Um, so just get on there, like the channel, subscribe to it, comment. You know, feel free to comment because that's what you know it's all about. Try to have some interaction, have a little fun, and and just uh, get the, get the interest back into collecting with the with all the racing fans. And since we have a little downtime, I think people are going to be checking it out a little more. All right, sounds good. I really appreciate you joining us here to, to for the show and to give us a little bit of insight into your uh, personal experience there at Talladega. Well, I appreciate you having me on the show, Ricky. It's been fun. If, if you ever want, you know, I'll be glad to hop on the show anytime you want me to to give a little uh, third-party insight on, you know, any races, because I've watched many. 1986 was just the perfect year for you guys to start on. Um, Talladega was such a, a big memory in my life because I was almost 10 years old. This track is huge. This The 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 spectators, uh, I, I can't tell you. People were used to Junior Nation when Junior, when Dale Jr. would be introduced and he would get these cheers. But down there, when Bill Elliott or Bobby Allison or Darrell Waltrip or Dale Earnhardt would get interviewed, that crowd was just rocking those bleachers and grandstands during the driver intros. Nothing like it is today. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, definitely I'll take you up on that. We'll have you back on the show again. And uh, once again, really appreciate you being on the show here this evening. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, Ricky. Thank you. So before we dive into race three, there was some newspaper articles, but because this show's so long, we're not going to go over them. I have linked some of them in the the Facebook group, but this is around the time where we get the biggest news of the year. I mean, this is probably the biggest free agent in a while in NASCAR. Darrell Waltrip has announced or been announced that he is leaving Junior Johnson and he's going to drive for Rick Hendrick, which opens up the Junior Johnson car. Yeah, and I mean, come on, this is one of the premier rides at this time. You, Everybody that didn't have a ride, you know they were shooting for this one. Yeah, and there's all kinds of rumors and articles going about. There's a whole article about Sterling Marlin had a private test session. He thought it went well. Um, he was in line for the ride. Then I've read other articles that, that link Jeff Bodine and Tim Richmond. The Junior Johnson was talking to them. They did talk about Terry Labonte, but it was weird in this because later there's, we may have talked about this on our first show, but Terry Labonte um, was rumored to come in and uh, here they said that Budweiser didn't want Terry Labonte in one of these articles that I read that he was kind of linked to the team, but Budweiser wasn't crazy about Terry Labonte. Well, we find out later from Junior's book that Budweiser wanted Terry Labonte, they wasn't crazy about Dale Earnhardt. And that just now that sounds crazy, but you gotta, you know, you gotta be sure and put it in context of the times. I mean, yeah, they were both champions. You know, like, they're both good drivers. Yeah, Either one would have been a good deal, but, you know. Yeah, and, and Junior, I mean, in hindsight, he said that he wishes he would have just kept two teams and ran Labonte with Budweiser and tried to find a sponsor for Earnhardt. And, that would probably have been the best bet for Junior at the time. But, I mean, my God, there were – they was linking Rusty Wallace. Um, you, well, then we have uh, Davey Allison. We'll run his interview in a second. He's filling in for Neil Bonnet because Bonnet's hurt. And then Davey Allison gives it just a heck of a run at Talladega. 
yeah, he, I mean, he showed what he could do with a good car, and he just about blew it out of the water. I mean, what can you say? And uh, we had that interview linked in uh, just before this, and uh, Mr. Emery made a good point. Davey Allison had ran a lot of ARCA races at, Day at uh, Talladega. I almost did it again. <laughs> he ran a lot of ARCA races at Talladega, and he had more experience at Talladega than a lot of the cup drivers did. So maybe, you know, Junior Johnson was just looking at it, at the fact that, well, anybody can run well at Talladega. You hold it wide open, and Allison was still kind of an unknown commodity. So it was still safer to go with a guy like Terry Labonte that was a former cup champion when things shake out at the end of 86. Yeah, I mean, you, it's always a risk. You want to get new and upcoming talent, but at the same time, you want the safe bet as well for your sponsors and all that stuff. Yeah, so we, um, Ken Squire introduces the race with Ned Jarrett and Neil Bonnet, and you can't, get, you can't go wrong with those three. Any combination with Squire in the booth, Ned Jarrett, just a legend, and Bonnet, you know, he would turn out to be one of the best analyst in nascar which was such a shame on what eventually happened with him because if he had stayed in the booth he was a great nascar analyst yeah i mean you gotta figure he he was always on top of things and he give you that uh, down home country feel to it. it i always liked listening to him yeah i mean it's like i like buddy baker too buddy he had that he had that different accent it's sometimes a little harder to understand buddy but um, they could just they could make you feel like they're your friend while you're watching the race. Yeah, it's like you're sitting there watching it with your buddy that knows a lot more about racing than you do. Yeah, yeah, that just so happens to be able to go out there and go 200 miles an hour with these guys. Um, we we're gonna go in here to the clip uh, first clip of the race with Davy Allison as he's sitting on pit road and about to make uh, a start in this Junior Johnson Budweiser car. Enjoy. Davey Allison is strapping into his Junior Johnson Chevrolet in relief of Neil Bonnet, getting the radio gear and the cool hat hooked up. And even the helmet has cooling vents on its side to make this 100-degree day just a little bit cooler. You're lucky. At least you're going to get a breeze out there. Well, you know, this little cool suit's supposed to help us out. I've never tried one before, but today will be a new experience for me in a couple of different ways, it looks like. Speaking of new experiences, Junior Johnson doesn't have a driver's sign for next year. This sure is a heck of an audition opportunity for you. Well, I'm just going to go out and do the best I can do, and I'm looking for a ride for next year, and I know Junior's looking for a driver, so maybe I'll be one of the candidates after today. Well, Ken, the best he can do should be pretty good. He has won races here, and he finished 10th in this event last year. Let's go up to the front of pit road where it's really hot with a 209-mile-an-hour speed and Chris Economaki. So there we have Davey Allison. Um, we've already went over everything about him. They remind us how hot it was at Talladega this day, and... I can't imagine a late July day in Talladega, Andy. It had to be brutal. I mean, like 100 degrees in the 100 degree actual temperature, but when you're packed in like sardines with another 100,000 people, the air don't move. I mean, we know that from Bristol. If you've been to Bristol, 120,000 people, there's no breeze when it's that hot. It's just it's just stagnant hot air, and you feel like you're being baked. And you got to remember, this is before they had the cooling fans, and they all they cared about was how aerodynamic the car could be. They didn't give a crap about the driver, so they didn't worry about getting air to him. The best thing they could do is put some dry ice in there and circulate it through a suit. Yeah, I mean, we did learn that some of them were running cool suits, uh, and then we, we also learned that the reason some of these guys didn't run cool suits was because they couldn't afford them. 
they're like $3,500, which back then to these lower tiered guys, that's got to be a lot of money. Yeah, you know, just pour me with water every time I come in for a pit stop and let's go. Yeah, so the grid, we have Bill Elliott on the pole over 209 miles an hour, Dale Earnhardt on the front row, uh, Tim Richmond, Benny Parsons, row two, and Sterling Marlin in fifth. And did you did you catch the dude that was uh, doing <laughs> the command? I mean, this is a true Southern politician, uh, if you've ever heard one. The accent, the dress, I mean... I haven't heard George Wallace mentioned that many times since a you know a Leonard Skinner concert. Yeah. Oh, George Wallace! I mean, as soon as this was over, he goes back to his palatial estate and has some. He has some uh, lemonade, maybe. Uh, I, I'm not going to say servants because that would be the an incorrect word or a, not the right word, but I guarantee you this dude has some help. Oh, it, I I can imagine him just by looking like at a, him. He's got a maid, a butler, a chauffeur. You know he had to have one of them white Colonel Sanders oh, suits. God. I mean, come on, because it was one of them. I do say, how dare you, but such my character. Yeah. It reminds me of, um. Uh, did you ever watch The Toy with Richard Pryor? Yes. Jackie Gleason. The way he talks in that movie yes. and, and then all the stuff with, with that. And he has this big party. And it, it, this dude would have been at Jackie Gleason's party in the toy. Let me put it that way. And I'll just leave it. Yeah, that, well, it's a good place to stop. Raw satellite feed broadcast, which is the first one we've got to do. And this gives it. you the sneak peeks inside of what the announcers are saying during breaks, which is great. Because you never know what they're going to say. And we do get some gems in this broadcast and i will say this nascar don't let the broadcasters know you're doing it but let's go back to this forget what they're talking about inside the cars with the drivers let us have the sneak peek of what the announcers are saying when we ain't listening yeah we you say that but me and you have been broadcasting football games and we've done a lot do you want them to know what we say when we're not actually on the air? We're different. We're not paying millions of dollars. Pay that's, me millions of dollars, you can listen to whatever I have to say. That's true. <laughs> At some point, the give a shit goes away. Yeah. You know, monetary and financial. Uh, so uh, during this raw satellite feed, um, we, we I don't know what happens. You hear a weird noise in the booth. Ken Squire's talking about the pace car, and he, he farts, and then he goes silent. <laughs> I thought he'd went out. He'd went on to the land beyond. Yeah, uh, we come back. We get a green flag. Tim Richmond jumps into the lead, and Sterling Marlin passes him out of four. And Marlin actually leads the first lap. And man, these cars are moving. They have to run the middle groove because they can't really hold it down on the bottom. The cars are going so fast they can't stick down there. No, Big E tried it, and he was drifting through turn four. Yeah, you, you don't want to go four wheel drifting at Talladega going two twelve. Um, Coming to the line on lap three, we have Earnhardt taking the lead from Marlin. He drags Bodine with him. Then Bodine inside of Earnhardt down the back stretch, and he gets the lead. Uh, Elliott has dropped out. Something went wrong there on the start. He had a bad start. He goes back to 12th. Economaki thinks that there's some sort of a problem. We have Kyle Petty dropping off the pace uh, from the top five. And A.J. Foyt, he's having issues. He's also off the pace. In these first 10 laps, Andy... You can tell this is going to be a good race because these guys are slingshot passing at every opportunity. They're not riding. They're passing. Yeah, and it said somewhere on there that it was the record for the fastest first 10 laps of a Talladega ever. Oh, yeah, and they, were, they weren't just passing each other. They were flying while they were doing it. Um, Squire asked Neil Bonnet when he's going to be back in the car. He says the second the doctor says that um, he thinks that I might even be able to get back into it. I mean, Bonnet... 
He was just a true racer. You just couldn't get him out of the car. He wasn't happy unless he was racing. Well, it's... I know this is going to sound bad, but can can you honestly imagine him or Earnhardt or some of these other drivers just getting old or going like he went? I mean, it's... I hate to say it that way, but I just can't imagine Earnhardt getting old and retiring and sitting on a porch. Well, I mean, at least they went out on their the way they was wanting to go, you know, yeah. I mean, they, you know, if Bonnet, if they got old and whatever, that's fine. But Bonnet, if he got old and he didn't get back in the car, I bet he probably would have regretted every day that he didn't, that he yeah. didn't make another shot. Yeah, so, it's one of them things. If they think they have a chance at it and Bonnet, he still had some talent, but oh, yeah. he, he didn't need to be back in it, but how are you going to stop somebody when that's all they've ever done? Yeah. So we, um, Squire says that there's rumors that Labonte will be going to Junior Johnson with Bonnet sitting right there. So this is the part where I'm having mm. trouble. I don't know if it ever spells it out. I mean, we hear that they're going back to one car and that there's not going to be an 11 and the 12. I guess Bonnet already kind of just knows that he's not going to be back, but he's sitting right there. Yeah, I mean, come on. You, these, I, I like Squire's work. I always have, but he's got to be a better time. I mean, come on. Yeah, Neil, what do you think about getting fired? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How you like your old lady going over to Junior Johnson's? Like, what? Yeah, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we get we go to commercial, and on this uh, raw feed, Ken Squire is mad <laughs> that... That um, nobody is counting him down, and I know what that means. But now, when we're doing it, um, like if we're doing a ball game broadcast, we don't actually get a countdown. We take our breaks, and then they just cut us off the air. But in NASCAR, you know, they tell you when they're going to commercial, so they're supposed to count you down so you know when they're they're wanting you to go. And apparently, he wasn't getting his counts. Yeah, and he was not happy. And the bad part is he. You could tell he he was mad and he didn't like it, but at the same time he didn't pull a Bill O'Reilly and start cussing him or nothing. Oh, no. Just count me down, yeah, do it just, now. Yeah, he was professional about it, but he was stern. <laughs> yes. Um, the mandatory caution is out. Everybody's pitting. Bobby Allison, he's getting a new windshield. Uh, oh my God! Did you see all the people, all the pit sign holders running out into the middle lane, holding their signs up, waiting for the cars to come in? Oh yeah, they like, don't ever get old. Oh. I mean, you just can't ever get over that visual because you also remember they're not just coming in at fifty-five or sixty-five; they're coming in as fast as they can get yes. there and stop in their box. Exactly, as fast as they can get there, if they can slide it in, and we see that quite a bit this race. You know, they're going to try. They slid it in quite a bit this race. Yes, they did. Sometimes they slid it sideways. Men were jumping out of the way. It was it was awful. Uh, 21 laps into the race, we have Phil Barkdahl and Dave Marcus swap out cars in a bizarre move. Two Helen Race specials in one race, Andy. Yes, we, we used to call this the fire drill, and it came from China. Chinese fire drill. But, okay, so uh, in all seriousness, though, I would imagine that this was like known prior to the race that this was going to happen. And we know that they, they talk about Dave Marcus wanted in the 73 car because it was faster. But when Bardall comes out of the car, he is not happy. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. But he did not want to get out of the car. Or when he got out of the car, he didn't want to get in the other car or something. Something see, was amiss. See, that's, uh, I don't know. I don't know if Bardall knew it. <laughs> 
because Maybe the way did. the way he gets out, he's like, "Wait a minute, my car's back. Are you going? I got to no." And well, and then it's funny because you see over his shoulder, his car's parked on pit road, and Marcus jumps in his car. Well, the, the car he's jumping <laughs> in is it's behind the wall. It's, yeah, it's, they done t- they done heading back to the garage with it. What's like, get in that car. What's wrong with it? <laughs> Nothing. Well, then why ain't it on pit road? Why did he stop here so he can be closer to get to your car? Maybe that's what it was. He was mad that he he wasn't on pit road, but there was some. He was not happy about something in this whole scenario. Yeah, because you can tell when he first gets out, he looks down pit road, looks back up pit road. There's nothing <laughs> the car, there. And the car is in the garage. It's behind him. Um, they talk to Harry Gant. They ask him about tires. He says that um, he don't know yet. Um, Harry says that they've got a long day, and his car is pretty loose right now, though. Uh, Terry Labonte was penalized, saying that he didn't slow down quickly enough for the caution. Once again, what's the rules on yeah. the caution? I cannot can, keep up with you it. You can go into the pits wide open when the caution comes out, but apparently you've got to slow down if you're on the... I don't know. Yeah. Uh, there's a restart. Dale Earnhardt out front. He's quickly passed by Sterling Marlin. Ned Jarrett mentioned Silly Season by name. So that's what they've called it for years. I, I didn't know they called it that back in 1986. Yeah, but then again, we was playing with G.I. Joes and stuff back in, so, you know. Yeah, we we had a lot of other stuff going on. Um, The top seven are pretty close in a draft. Benny Parsons now to the lead, and Earnhardt tries to follow. Two by two behind Parsons. Half a lap later, we get Marlin and Bodine by Parsons, and Rick Wilson trying to get in the mix. I mean, there's just, it's, this whole race, one thing we're going to notice is there's just a constant stream of different cars at the front. Yeah, and it's it's some names you know, some names you don't, and some people that are going to be stars that aren't really stars at this time, and it, everybody had a chance, it seemed like. Yeah, this was just a really interesting, weird race. 30 laps in, Marlin, Bodine, Parsons, Wilson, and Earnhardt are the top five. We have Poncho Carter spinning out, uh, brings out a caution, Buddy Baker, had to, he had had to make an emergency pit stop, but he hung on to the lead lap um, after he had a tire problem. And now we go to a satellite feed notes. We'll do satellite feed notes. Ken Squire can now hear things, which is good. Neil Bonnet wants water, and he discusses a race from earlier in the year where he got behind and he had to scuff tires in for Daryl. He says that he feels for the pit crews who's just sitting in the heat on pit road. And Neil notes that Dave Marcus will be tough to handle up front. And uh, Ned agrees and says he'll use up the racetrack. Now, Marcus just stays out, I guess, to lead a lap. He doesn't stay up there. But even in 1986, everybody knew that Dave Marcus was by God hard to pass. Yes, he would not give you an inch, a dime, a nickel. He was you was going to work for everything you got. Yeah. I mean, Marcus... He would even steal your car. To win a race. Yeah, he would. He would still He'll do whatever it takes. Um, we get back to the actual broadcast. Tim Brewer with Chris Cotomack, and he says, Davey's doing pretty well. Uh, back to green, Richard Petty out front with Earnhardt, um, Allison, also uh, Bodine, and the 26 of Rutman in the top five. Down the back stretch, we get the 43 and the three side-by-side. A.J. Foyt trying to get his lap back. Allison tries to go three wide for the lead, and he got it at the line, but then he has to fall back. They were, it's now when we see him three wide for the lead or even four wide, they can kind of, it almost, they, they can hold it better because the cars are just sucked down to the track and they're not going quite as fast. There, the cars, you can see 
clearly up under the cars because they can't get them down on the track. They're bouncing. They're hanging out on the right rear bias ply tires, and they're three wide. That is impressive. Yeah, and uh, that's something that, you know, nowadays you hear them talk about how rough the track is and all that. These guys, they were, what, say three, four inches off the track. The, the car, you can physically see oh, yeah. it on TV bouncing sideways a foot either way. Yeah, I mean, they're, I mean the track it, is moving crazy. cars. It's, it is crazy. Um, we have Bobby Allison inside of Dave. I'll tell you one thing. Bobby Allison definitely didn't cut Davey any slack in this race. <laughs> Every time Allison got behind Allison... Bobby reminded him who the da who his daddy was. Yeah, he, he he was giving him another healthy spanking. Yeah, with the help from that dude from that the George Wallace's buddy. Yes, um, we have uh, pretty tight racing. Uh, we have two by two by two by two at two hundred and ten miles an hour. Terry Labonte has blown a tire and he goes to the pits. Now we find out he didn't just blow a tire; the tire did explode and it just ripped all the. All the drive lines and oil lines out from under the car, so that takes him out of the race. Uh, the three car surges to the lead, and we go four wide for a second. We have Benny Parsons, Phil Parsons, Allison, and Allison, four wide. Um, I don't know how they didn't just wreck the whole field three or four times this race. Yeah, I was waiting on a Ricky Bobby moment where they're having to do a sprint on foot to the finish line or yeah. something. Um, Labonte in the garage, and we will hear from him. Well, you're looking at the left front tire of Terry Labonte's car. Shredded would be too good a term. The reason the tire still holds there is the safety inner liner that Goodyear uses. Terry, what happened first up there? Well, the uh, left front tire blew out. It knocked all the oil lines out from, the, from inside the car there and uh, busted the oil cooler. So you did not blow the engine? No, no. The tire just knocked, all the, knocked the hole in the oil cooler and all that. Did you have any warning? No, just did it all at once. How was the car working up to this point? Working really good. You know, uh, the car was really super. Probably the best it's been in a long time. Car to see out of it. Ken? Terry Labonte, who may be on his way into a new ride. Is that for sure, Ned? I'm not, I don't think it's for sure. There's a lot of speculation that he'll get the Junior Johnson ride next year, but uh, you never know. There's a lot of things going on uh, this time of year. A lot of, a lot of speculation, and that's what it is. But uh, that's, that's the way the thoughts are going. Do you have anything to add to that? You're part of that team. I tell you what, all I know is Junior's going to have a new driver next year in his car, and I'm sure they'll win a lot of races. Junior keeps that car in front all the time. I don't know who it'll be right now. So we're back under caution for the third time in the Talladega 500. We'll follow the action following these messages. Andy. Once did, again, he's right there. He, he's there. He's sitting right there. And not only is he sitting there, now they're engaging him in this. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think is going to drive Junior's car next yeah. year? Because we sure as shit know it's not you. We, we know you got broke ribs and you're probably in a lot of pain right now, even just sitting there, but uh, who's going to take your job? Yeah. Oh. Well, but, and besides that, Terry Labonte with his interview, he is the inspiration, I think, for Boomhauer. Got to be. I mean... Yeah, not that he's unarticulate. He just answers in precise and um, very, he doesn't have to drag his words out. He will answer your question, and that's it. He does yes. not elaborate. What happened? Tire blew. Well, and I mean, it may, you know what? It may be because half the time in these races during this year, when they go to interview him, they only ask him like one question, <laughs> and by the time he spits it out, they kick it back. So he's like, "Well, if you're just, you know, I'm not going to elaborate if I don't have more than two or three seconds on TV." But honestly, this is probably the most we've heard him speak in any of the interviews this year. So yeah, and that includes the race he won. 
yeah, it was a good day. We won because we beat the rest of them. And yeah, it was a good, good race. Um, raw feed notes. There is some lady in there <laughs> trying to figure out what happened to the ball. This is funny. They tell her they have to reiterate what happened. And then they say, they know, you can hear her like, well, how do you know? Because we just talked to Terry Labonte. <laughs> he was in the, we had him on TV. <laughs> but Yeah, but are you sure? Yes, we just asked him. He was right there. The, and then Jarrett randomly says, uh, I thought you were trying to kiss me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, Ned, I'm not sure no. if you realize you're on raw feed here, but uh, you just... Uh. That was a weird thing to say. Yeah, I mean, hashtag me too or something. I don't know. Maybe back then it was pound me too. Yeah, <laughs> it was. On the restart, we have Earnhardt and Phil Parsons trying to pull away. They're ran down by the pack, which was led by Foyt. And A.J. Foyt, um, his car was fast. Yeah, he, he's had some fast cars. He just seems to be having bad luck for some reason. Yeah, he's, he just can't get over the mechanical or the tire issues or whatever. Now we talk to Mike Joy, or Mike Joy talks to Marsha Parsons. Oh, good Lord, no. Not again. Who who asked about Phil's flip a couple of years ago, and we learned that she's psychic, Andy. Because uh, yeah. she said she didn't see the crash, but she ran anyway because of her women's intuition. Yeah, and I have no doubt about this, because looking at that hair, they wasn't nothing going over her head. <laughs> no. I, mean, I mean, she did the Reva McIntyre thing. She jacked that hair to Jesus, I'm telling you. It was. Now, and I will also say, you know, it had nothing to do with her being in the pit box with the pit crew on the radio that was like, oh, my God, Phil just wrecked. Yeah, <laughs> that, that has nothing to no, do with her women's no, intuition. No, no, it's like that guy that comes on TV. I'm sensing someone here has a family member named Bob or Robert. Well, yeah, of course. of course. Most people have somebody named Bob or Robert in their family. Yeah, I mean, if you said my, you have a family member named Jabubu, that'd be a little different. Yeah, that'd be different. That'd be like, okay, well, that's specific, you know. Yeah. Or you go in and see the lady with the crystal ball. Well, you tell me what my name is. Yeah, you know, yeah. let's see how good you are. Yeah, you need to earn your dollar today woman uh top three together we have Earnhardt Parsons and uh Rick Wilson pulling away from the pack we get a um our next clip of the race it's Richard Petty he's having his moment just get up there run up front and get their name built up in this sport and be winners and you have to just learn what to do with that race car when it gets away from you and they're driving them Bobby Allison in traffic moving up on Ricky Rudd here last before it was in 20th he's bettered his mark now that looks to me like Perhaps 18th. We'll check it this time by. Trouble. Richard Petty. It's loose. He is sliding all the way down to the tri-oval. He's almost taking the wall. He's crashed into the wall. And now he's spinning again. And wreck coming to rest down here in turn number one. Fortunately, the car did not shoot back out on the racetrack again. As far as, because that would have been devastating as they went into the first turn if he had been, if he had slid back out off the trail. Yeah, and it was a glancing blow, you know, certainly out of the race, but it looked like maybe nothing that would have hurt Richard. And I learned in that interview that uh, Mr. Emery, he, he actually had a front row seat for that, said he was sitting right in front of it, as you heard earlier. Uh, all he saw was the smoke, and they thought people thought Petty flipped because they see the smoke, and then they see the windshield come off, and then they see the what was water. But, I mean, I guess back then, you know, now you can't say anything. Oh my God, he's flipped. Yeah, well, I mean, you, oh, you hit the wall kind of hard, but we didn't flip. You know, as, as it happens in real time, you're not in the car now. If you're in the car, I'm sure it goes slow motion. But when you're just, oh crap, there he is. Wait, what happened to him? 
here then we go to the pits and i should have clipped this but it was just so brief chris economaki gets real excited <laughs> and he 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 talking about dale earnhardt and he says he's refusing a drink <laughs> I mean, he said that with with the fervor that somebody would have said, Dale Earnhardt is on fire. Dale Earnhardt has just killed Richard Childress. Dale Earnhardt is forcefully penetrating a Winston girl. <laughs> Good Lord. I mean, oh, waters for the weak, sir. Dale Earnhardt is like Chuck Norris. There are things that he could do no one else could do. I guess, but it's just, I mean, you hear it, Chris, he has refused a cup of water. I mean. But you got to remember, Economaki's sitting there on, uh, on what was it, a block of ice with a towel over his head. We, we see the gate, yeah, we see yeah. the Gatorade towel over his head later. Maybe Economaki was having a, a heat stroke at some point in this race. Uh, raw feed commercial notes. Ken's producer is saying something about getting something from Allison's car. They want some sort of in-car audio. You can hear somebody in the background in this break. <laughs> say, I, I don't, I don't see. I think sometimes mm. you hear the other producers, but then sometimes you can hear the fans um, in these raw feed. I, I think it's because they're so close, and maybe they're in the open air right above the grandstands. Because you hear somebody say, Bill Elliott is driving a slow-ass race, just randomly in the background. Yeah, and the bad part is he's still what in the top five at this point, top <laughs> ten at uh, least. Bill uh, Elliott last year lapped, unlapped himself twice. This year he can't even get in the top five. Yeah, he's, he's running slow. We broke the speed record, but he's still slow. Yeah, he's, what, he's slow. What? So we do at least get this race. We have an idea of what's going on. They keep us updated. 55 laps into the race. Davey Allison, Bobby Allison, Harry Gant, Bill Elliott, and Benny Parsons, the top five. And Elliott, did you know, had to screw up the double-digit thing there for the few. We had the 22, the 33, and a 55 in order. We could, if Labonte would have still been in the race or Phil Parsons would have been up there. But no, we had to have that screwed up. We've already had 19 lead changes. Yeah, they. I mean, they were passing back and forth, and it wasn't one of the... Okay, well, you got two lines going, you know, inching forward, inching back. No, they were making a complete pass, and then the next one slingshot past them and make another one, and it was like playing jumping jacks. Well, and we didn't have loop data back then. There was, sometimes they would pass each other twice for the lead in the same lap. You'd have a guy pull out pass, and then he would get pulled out and passed on. So technically, you didn't have a lead change that lap, but they swapped it twice. Yeah, they only counted as start-finish line, so who knows how many you actually had. Yeah, if you'd have loop data stats for that race, it'd been crazy. We On the restart, we have the Allisons out front, Marlin, and uh, then the two-car. Or no, they're one and two, sorry. And uh, Bobby Allison just dumps Davey. He he, he don't want to <laughs> he don't want to help him. He don't want to ride with him. I don't know if Davey had made him mad the day before this race or what, but Bobby did not help Davey at all in this race. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it was tough love or what you'd call it, but it, it, it was pretty obvious he was going out of his way not to help him. Yeah, so we do have the two car uh, near the front though because uh, sixty six car gets in the lead, Parsons, and then Rodney Combs gets up to third. And he's inside of, then he gets inside of Phil Parsons for second. We go three wide. This is just a, it. this is a race where when you're quarantined in this whole deal, <laughs> I would watch this entire race without, it don't get boring. There's no part no. of this race that I'm bored watching. No, I mean, it's almost uh, three and a half, four hours almost. And you sit there and watch the whole thing and you're like, well, where'd the time go? All right. 
Yeah. Um, Bobby Allison and uh, the 14 of A.J. Foyt draft by Combs were back in a line. The whole field right here at this point is basically in the same draft. We go side by side again with Combs um, and Allison. Uh, with uh, with some help, he gets by Combs with help from Richmond. Mike Joy talks to Richard Petty. He's always smiling. He just said that he didn't. At least he didn't hit anything too hard, so he was happy um, that didn't have a big wreck. Richmond takes the lead, and now Combs up to second. We have Elliot the third, Allison, Bobby Allison. Um, they're tra- he's trying to make a move. A lap later, Bill Elliott's got by Combs. Then he drives right around and takes the lead. I'm, I think somebody <laughs> was listening to this uh, raw feed in Bill Elliott's pit, and they said, hey, somebody said you're you're a slow ass. <laughs> yeah, and he was like, oh. Watch this. <laughs> yeah. Engage. So we have um, Elliott. Uh, he's driving away from the pack by himself. He's trying to, at least. We've got... Uh, uh, Richmond and Allison trying to hang on. Dale Earnhardt also trying to stay in contact. Earnhardt drops by Allison, and there's seven or so cars basically in a lead draft. We Rusty Wallace drops off the pace with some trouble, and he'll drop out of the race. Uh, Earnhardt inside of Elliott for the lead. He gets him by nose at the line. Uh, Tim Richmond gets by Elliott with some help from Benny Parsons. Seven cars still in this lead draft. Economaki's in the pits with Dan Elliott, who says he's just trying to beat the heat. And I can't blame him. No. Um, Another group of about six or seven trying to run down the lead seven. We go back to a raw feed. Ken Squire is still not happy. He says, you have to tell me. And I'm I'm sure uh, assuming this is still about a countdown. He's asking if they have a graphic on the German Grand Prix. He wants to report on that. Uh, back in, 72 laps down, Earnhardt, Richmond, uh, Elliott, Parsons, and Bobby Allison. Sterling Marlin has all of a sudden come alive again. He passes a few cars. He's up to third. Rusty Wallace talks with Mike Joy, and he says he burnt up a piston. The announcers then talk about what they drink on hot days, and Squire tries to get Jarrett to say that some of those guys like Weatherly and Turner would drink alcohol. He was really trying to get him to say <laughs> they would drink alcohol, but Jarrett was not going to, he wasn't going to tell on his old buddies. Yeah, he ain't no snitch. No, he, no snitches get stitches. That's right. Uh, they keep trading the lead back and forth. It's it's really hard to keep up with in the notes. Um, Richmond back to the lead. We have Marlon, Earnhardt, and Benny Parsons now the top four. Mike Joy has a report on cool suits. And we come back, we see Chris Economaki with a Gatorade towel on his head. Yeah, that that was something. The word know. is that it came out of Petty's mouth. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> that took a turn. Um, so, um, anyway, back to the race, 81, lap 81. Richmond and Earnhardt trying to pull away. Marlin is having some type of an issue. He pits and has to take tires. Now Bill Elliott to the pits, and now we get some green flag pit stops. Um, we get some more laps run down out of these pit stops. Uh, Richmond, he runs out of gas. Uh, Terry LeBon- or, uh, Jeff Bodine also into the pits. Economaki is in the nine pits showing that he had a flat tire. Uh, nobody knows the running order right now because everything has got jumbled up because of all these uh, pit stops. So we go back to raw feed commercials. Jarrett says that he thinks that the 11 has lost radio contact. 
Squire now wants to know who won Lamont. Squire it, it is worried about. It wasn't Lamont's. It was Greg Lamont off the Tour de France. Oh, he wanted to know if Greg Lamont won the Tour de France. Yes. Okay. Well, that. The greatest cyclist the U.S. has ever produced. The man who would have won seven or eight Tour de France's if his buddy hadn't have shot him with a shotgun when he went turkey hunting. Good point. Okay. So I say <laughs> Le Mans. Yeah. Well, at least I said Le Mans. Okay. I get it. Yeah. So I, I knew that you said you had you had caught me somewhere in the notes and this yeah. is it. Very rarely does it happen that I find you make a mistake and yeah. I will take full advantage every time. Well, at least I didn't say Squire was wondering about Lamont's class. <laughs> well, that would have took Lamont's a Lamont's class, yeah. What, what do we know about Lamont's class? Who's, whose wife is knocked up at this moment? Can you can you imagine Jared's going, well, you got to go. Yeah. yeah. Him and <laughs> Jared is his coaching buddy. Uh, uh, Daryl Waltrip is out of gas, coasts into the pits. Back to the broadcast. Marlon Earnhardt Yarborough. Uh, Bodine and Allison are the lead draft. And then we get another clip with Mike Joy going straight after <laughs> Harry Hyde. Harry Hyde, you may have left him out there one lap too often. That's risky business playing that cat game, isn't it? Good you know, Lord. I, I used to think that Harry Hyde was um, the baddest man in NASCAR, but I'm actually convinced it's Mike Joy. <laughs> Mike Joy, he, he gives not one single fornication. It, it, wow. That's yeah. A, uh, I'm well, speechless. Yeah, I mean, even I'm Harry Hyde back down from <laughs> Mike Joy right then. Like, uh... So you really think he could go 38 laps? Of course, yes, Mike. I thought he was... No, I didn't think he could go 38 laps. I intended to run him out of gas. Yeah. Just well, to piss him off. Well, yeah, we want to piss him off. That way he'll drive better and you'll make it easier for the rest of the field to kind of hang out with him. Oh, good Lord. Um, So we have two by two for the lead. And even after the green flag stops, they're kind of all still together. Earnhardt and uh, then we have um, Kel Yarborough right behind him. We get a caution a few laps later, and some drivers are pitting. We get some video distortion issues here in the broadcast. <laughs> Raw feed notes. Squire says, hand it to me. Don't just put it there. I don't know what he wants. Ned Jarrett tells somebody to get a hammer. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I would love to know what was going on in the booth. This is beginning to sound a little bit kinky. Um, they're talking about how many lead lap cars. Bonnet calls somebody a litter bug, and Squire says, awful. Bonnet is disappointed that we didn't pan the infield on commercial to see the campers. <laughs> then Jarrett subtly reminds Bonnet that some people are watching on satellite and they don't want to look a certain way. I think Bonnet may have been wanting to see some tickle bitties. Yes, yes, tickle bitties. 
Maybe. Um, oh, you know it. Come on. Yeah, I mean, what's what's wrong with it's, that? It's, it's Talladega. Yeah. I mean, it's Talladega. That's what's happening there. It's the it's the infield of Talladega. That's like going to a Rodney Carrington concert. You're going to see some now, whether they're big old men or big old women. You don't know, but they're going to be definitely there. Gonna, they're going to be there. Back to racing. Uh, we have Earnhardt out front with uh, Yarborough, also Jeff Bodine, and Kel, and then Kel Yarborough. Um, also right there. He's not there twice, so that must have been somebody else. There's a big draft of lead lap cars. Uh, 88 grabs the lead for the first time in the race, and now we get Earnhardt back under him for the lead. It was the 88. It was the three in front of the 88, and the 20 it was there. Um, the four, the five, and the 28, and the one are also right there in the same draft. Uh, Buddy Baker, back to the point with uh, Rick Wilson going with him. Rusty Wallace has now officially blown up and goes to the garage. The caution is out. Ken Schrader has also went to the garage area. Economaki's with Schrader, who said they were running well and something let loose in the engine. Asked about the cool suit. Schrader said that it was working good and it wasn't too bad out there. Everybody else is dying, and Ken Schrader's like, I was fine. Well, <laughs> and the bad part is you could look. The cool suit must have been doing some good because he looked refreshed. I mean, oh, yeah, you, know, he, you could tell he's sweating a little bit, but it wasn't. Well, he's also Ken Schrader. Ken Schrader's the man. Well, that's true, too. Um, restart from this caution here. Jeff Bodine, Rick Wilson are the out front. Ricky Rudd has got out of his car and replaced by Rusty Wallace. So anytime it's hot, Red's on the ground. Well, this time Red's not <laughs> even on the ground. He gets out of his car. And fortunately, Phil Bartendahl's not there to run into it. Yeah. <laughs> we have to get replaced by Rusty Wallace. Um, so uh, Combs out of his car replaced by Alan Koike. So it's not... it. And then we did learn, not to just bang on red, he's, he had the flu. Yeah. I can't imagine having the flu and racing at, at Talladega in 100 and whatever degree. Yeah, I mean, good Lord, there was more swapping going on here than an orgy. Yeah. 120 laps down, Rick Wilson to the lead. Um, he's the 22nd official leader out of the 40 starters. 35 lead changes so far in the race. Wilson, Bodine, and Tim Richmond are the front three. Rafid notes, Jarrett and Bonnet wondering why Elliot hasn't got back, back up there. Bonnet says, a lot colored car is about to hit the wall every lap. He thinks it's Baker. We get back, and we do find out that it's Baker because um, he does have to pit somewhere here eventually. Uh, the five and the three are side-by-side side for the lead with, uh, with, uh, with Richmond and Kel Yarbrough also right there. Then the four and the nine are fifth and six side by side. They're two by two by two. With, I mean, this race is just insane. Yeah, they were getting ready to get on the arc or something because it's always two by two. Bobby Hillen is up there. He takes it three wide for fourth. Now Baker into the pits. And then we get a uh, interview with A.J. Foyt. We lost a lap, or we'd have ran second in the race, but uh, somewhere we got a lap down, they said, but today we started off real good, and I cut a right rear tire, and lucky I didn't get in the wall, then I went out and run some more, and I cut two more tires, and a while ago I lost the left front wheel band for some reason went out. The car looked like it almost hit the wall when you did. It almost did, almost went head on, but uh, I don't know.
good group of guys to run with. I really enjoy them. They're not a bunch of crybabies. They're just true racers, you know. And Are there more cars in contention today, it seems, than a year ago? Oh, I don't think more than a year ago. No, it's been this way for the last five or six years down here. That's A.J. Foyt. A.J. Foyt. We finally found somebody to stand up to Mike Joyce tyrannical terrain. Yeah, there you there you do have one that is not going to back down from nobody. Super Tex is the one that you don't want to cross. And he says, no crybabies. You know that that's a direct shot across the bow at the IndyCar drivers, which he is a full-time member of the Indy, the IndyCar series at this point. But he, he was not happy with some of the IndyCar drivers at this time. Well, even he knew that it was just overpriced go-karts. We will agree to disagree. <laughs> okay. Raw feed notes. Ken Squire talks about a triple burger. I don't know what he's what he's talking about. Bonnet said that he has never thought that he'd get this excited about eating a grape. Yeah, I'm I'm just wondering what was can it we, soaked yeah. in something or soaked in something. The, the, <laughs> this is Talladega, and for those of you that are not uh, privy to stuff from the South, we have been known to take random fruits and put it in our moonshine. And freeze them. Yes. And when you get them out and eat them, they have soaked up the moonshine and hello. Yeah, that may have been. I almost bet you that's what it was. Uh, they talk about the Hendrick cars being strong. Bonnet talks about rain. He says if it rains here, the place just gets mad and it gets hotter. So the, the track itself gets mad, <laughs> apparently. Well, it's Alabama. I mean, the whole, uh, the whole state gets mad when it gets hotter. Yeah, um, back from the commercial, there is a six-car lead draft. Bodine out front, Earnhardt. We've got Richmond, Elliott, Kel Yarborough, and Rick Wilson. They uh, talk to Neil that he's getting ready to turn 40, Andy. My <laughs> God, Neil Bonnet was always 60, right? <laughs> he, he's like the Arn Anderson of racing. He was always 60, always perpetually 60. Yeah, we're 40. or I mean, you're 40, I'm about to be 40. Yeah. But Neil Bonnet is our age at this point. I mean, it really, it makes me feel old. And that's another thing. You got to, at 40, he was like on the tail end of his racing career. Now, oh, yeah, they can go started. 50, probably 60. I mean, heck, everybody's still racing. Yeah, uh, well, you have some of the guys, though, that are retiring earlier just because they don't have to race because they got enough money. Yeah. They, they don't do. race for the love of racing. They race for the love of money. Yeah, Tony Stewart, you know. I mean, I think Stewart just didn't want any of the politics yeah, with NASCAR. Yeah, he got tired he, of that. I mean, some, you get tired of that, and if you've got enough money, you just say, I'll do what I want to. Um, they talk about the Rainier Lundy team and the status next year. Says that they will stay in business, and they've hired Robert Yates to help with the engines. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the beginning of something. Uh, raw, more raw feed notes. Um, Ned says that Richmond's fallen off the pace just a little. Ken Squire wants to see some other action besides <laughs> the leaders. Thank you, Ken. This is a problem we've always had yes. in NASCAR where they get focus, laser focused on the leaders no matter what. Now, this whole race, they've been changing the lead a lot. But Ken Squire is like, I want to see, and then they do. In this commercial, you'll notice they'll pan to this other stuff, and it was crazy. Like 7th, 8th, ninth on back at this point, they were racing. Yeah, I don't care if it's for the lead. I want to see where the action's at. Yeah, and that's the good thing about going to races. You can watch whatever you want to. But then the flip side of that is going to the races when it's 110 degrees. Yeah. Like, well, I guess I'll just be happy with what you show me. I'm sure some of them didn't even know it was 100 degrees. Oh, no. Or Somebody, where they were so, at. Yes, or what state they were <laughs> yeah. in. Who, how they got there, how they were getting home. And... Um, so Bonnet says that um, 
Rusty is moving up in the 15 car to watch out for that. And Ken Squire is totally confused at this point in the break. (laughs) I don't think Squire realized that Rusty was in the 15 car for some reason. Because you could tell he was a little off trying to figure out what was going on during this break with uh, Rusty Wallace in the 15. Yeah, he didn't want to be rude about it, but at the same time, he's like, well, where's Rusty's not? He's he's in behind. Oh, oh, he's in there. Okay, yeah, there he is. This is the race where everybody decides to switch cars with one another. (laughs) Yes, Um, Back to the race, Mike Joy interviews Buddy Arrington, who said he was pretty wore out and hot, and he said he'll look into the cool suits. And what kind of redneck Elvis impersonator is Buddy Arrington? Did you see this? I mean, he seemed like a good old boy, but dang on. It's like I don't want to crack on him too bad because everybody screws up like what he did at Pocono. But, um, yeah, he did. He did look like, (laughs) you know, he could be over in uh, what's the, the place in Mississippi, uh, Br- oh, no, Branson. Mis- mis- yeah, Missouri. Branson. Branson. Yeah, he could he could take over for Elvis and Branson. <laughs> Bill Elliott is now off the pace, and we've got Earnhardt with Bodine pulling away from the pack. Um, Phil Parson in the pits with his hood up. 38 laps to go. There's some pit stops happening, and they're going to be cutting it to the wire on being able to go on gas. Earnhardt is about a second and a half ahead after the five after the pit stops, and then we uh, Richard Childress he talked about gas mileage, but it don't matter because Daryl Waltrip has spun off the bumper of Rick Wilson making his stop. Oh good lord! And did you see the crew members? I mean, they they jumped, scattered. <laughs> yeah, they jumped the wall, the toolbox. I think they jumped over Helen Ray, and it was it was awful. It was yeah. I mean, when you have a car spinning coming into the pits in 1986, it's a big deal. It's like the, it's almost like that Days of Thunder spin into the pits and trickle hits the wall. You're like, did you see that guy? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened. Um, we have, they're talking about who could make it, who who can't make it, and then there's a caution for the 81 car. And uh, the three car is on the track and smoking, and then heading to the garage, he has a moment of trepidation. Going out with the tides recently. Sure has, and that he'll look like he's coming from the engine too. Yeah, he's making an awful wide swing right there. Right into the garage here. And he spins it around, right into some crew members there. Hopefully they all got out of the way as Harry Gant was coming down pit road. His crew was out there ready to service him, and Earnhardt just spun around. I started to say it looked like rear end grease or oil coming up out of the car. Evidently spun in his own oil coming in there. Let's take a look at exactly what happened to Earnhardt's car. Watch the battle zone down there along pit road. Well, he was making the wide squeak, Ken, as attempting to go into the garage area. That's the way that they do it when they head in, and he turned the car, and it looked like it was headed right in there, and all of a sudden, it just broke loose. The back wheels looked like they were locked up. I think that's liquid, you know, coming out very much. It just uh, either been going too fast. It looked like there was something coming out of the car. And well, this 33 crew, watch them. They keep right on going. They moved right out of the way. Miss the beat. I tell you, those fellows are in good condition, too. They're athletes, really. Yeah, Earnhardt coming into the pits, uh, coming in just a little hot with that grease on the tires. There's another one that spins. And then Gant's crew, the, the jack man did have to jump out of the way. And then they just they just pit Harry in the middle of the pit road, yeah, basically. Yeah, just park it wherever you can, man. Yeah, we'll change tires. We no, don't care. There was no boxes that you had to pit in or you was penalized. They just pitted him right there. <laughs> like, Earnhardt's in our pit box backwards. Okay, <laughs> don't matter. We'll just pitch you out here on pit road. I just like the Jackman. Me personally, I would. They would have been a soil spot on the concrete right there. He just kind of steps to the side. The car hits. He walks around. We're ready to change tires. What the heck? Yeah, this like how oh, this happens every day. 
And then you have Jarrett saying, oh, these guys are athletes. And Bond, it's like, no, that's self-preservation. Yeah, you know, it's like when somebody throws a grenade out of a boat, you know, guess what? They was in the boat, too. Right. Um, so, raw feed notes. They talk about how interesting it would have been without the caution. Neil said that the Wood Brothers had made a good move. Yeah, Kyle Petty was probably the one set up. If they didn't have a caution, he might have won the race because I don't think he'd have had to pit again. No, he uh, he could have probably made it, it lo- or it looked like it anyway. Yeah, 158 laps down. Harry Gant, Hillen, um, Davey Allison, Benny Parsons, and the seven car are in the top five, setting up to be a crazy finish. Yeah, well, it gets crazy. You mentioned at the top of the show that Bobby Hillen Jr. might be a dark horse in this race. He was your favorite as far as the dark horse is concerned, Ken, and certainly he's uh, oh, a good runner. is destroyed, racing back to the flag. Maybe Allison the lead. Bobby Hill in second of the line, Benny Parsons third, and Tim Richmond fourth. Phil Parsons was running on the inside of him on the restart. Of course, Phil had had some problems earlier, and a green flag tip stop and was a couple laps down at least. Now, whether they got together coming off of that turn or just exactly what happened, we'll have a replay in a moment and see if we can pick out just what happened. But Gent for the second week in a row has had a, a devastating crash here. He it was involved crash. in the crash with you last week, Neil. Yeah, that was hard to tell. That looked like it was halfway down the back straightaway on the straight in part the of the track. Looked like something happened and the car just turned. It might be that he got tapped from the rear. Let's see if we can see. As they come off of the turn, you can see Phil Parsons down on the inside. It doesn't look like they touch. Bobby Hillen is very close to Gant on the rear. He might... From this angle, it's hard to say whether he touched him or not, but the case like definitely he got like Yes, I believe he did, because he definitely got out of shape, hit Phil. Phil went, well, he holds on to his car for a moment, but then he spins around down on the inside. Parts start flying off of Gant's car. Here comes Darrell Walter, nowhere to go. He plows right into him, and here comes Jeff Bodine as Gant slides down in front of him. There's Morgan Shepard up on the outside, goes between Gant and Walter. So does Rick Wilson. Some of the drivers choose to go down on the grass. One of them loses control on the left side of the screen there. But Gant is a sitting duck up on, on the track because he's right in front of the field. The worst place he could be at the end of that back straightaway, too. That's a lot happened right there, Andy. That was a big wreck. <laughs> a little touchy-touchy. So who for, who do you blame for that wreck? Healing. No. See, I don't I, I have I I have no doubt in my mind that because even when he got up to him, he still pushed, and then he got him sideways, and he kept pushing, and you know, that's yeah, I, that's why I blame him. I mean, it may have been too aggressive, but I don't know why Phil Parsons was slamming into Gant either. He was he was side drafting him really hard to be a lap down. That was so. I'm not saying I don't know. I just don't. Th- yeah, I think Hillen's partly to blame, but I think Phil Parsons is also partly to blame in that. Yeah, I think they were beating and banging, and that might have slowed him up enough. But, yeah, Hillen hit him like three times before it was over with. First time, eh, you know. 
and then we seen the smoke there is either smoke or dust or something so maybe something else happened it's hard to tell but Harry Gant was he's not happy when we get to um, his interview here in a little bit now Mike Joy talked to Bill Elliott and Dale Earnhardt both of them were complaining about crazy driving and Earnhardt just straight out called Hillen out for his driving yeah he I mean he mentioned it by name so you know that's got to be bad then Economaki talks to Doug Richard, who looks like he's trying to get his jazzercising in while he's crew chiefing for Davey Allison. I thought Jim McMahon had took over. It was, it was weird. And it was, it's appropriate that Economaki is the one interviewing him because, well, I've got Chicago Bears court. No, wait, I've got Doug Richard here who <laughs> looks much like Kathy Bodine. <laughs> oh, oh, Lord. Next thing you know, he's going to be calling Chris Everett. Uh, Chris Everett. Um... Raw feed notes. Neil said everybody's getting torn up. They're trying to figure out how Kel was in the crash, and he was the one that spun in the infield that you see in the replays. And uh, Neil, he's pretty confident that Tim Richmond's going to win. Well, yeah, at this point, how could you bet against him? Yeah, he's won the other, what, two in a row already yeah. or three in a row? Yeah, he won, has he won three in a row? Two or three? Yeah. We have to look back at the notes. Yeah, I think he may have won three in a row, and he's going for four. And uh, we get an interview here with Daryl Waltrip after this wreck, and then Bobby Hillen's crew chief, Billy Wood. Daryl, well, what happened? You were right smack in the middle of it. Uh, Harry, Phil got together when Harry and Phil did something. I don't know. I couldn't tell for sure. Uh, looked like they were rubbing each other right much on the restart even here, and then they come down the back and did it again. And that time Harry swerved, and when he swerved, he went back up in the wall, and I was right behind Harry, so I just went right into Harry. Now, there's some green paint on your car. When Dale Earnhardt and Bill Elliott got out of the race, they were talking about kind of the way folks were driving on a racetrack. Is it the heat? Is it the fact that everybody wants to win this thing once? You've won it a couple of times. What do you think? I wouldn't know. I wasn't in the race all day. He sure wishes he was. He unsponded Darrell Waltrip. Not the same man as a year ago on that team. Let's go to Chris. I'm here with Billy Wood, uh, the new crew chief for Bobby Hillen, who's uh, talking here with Ron Pierce. Billy, uh, first of all, what kind of shape is Bobby in for the balance of the run? Uh, he's looking good. We're just waiting for the green flag. Uh, this other drivers have said that uh, there's been some, to put it mildly, careless driving on the track, and it's intimated that Bobby is in one of those guilty of that. You you believe that? Well, I don't know. All, all I can see is right out here. I can't see behind me. What, what is he saying on the radio? He's not saying anything about that. But what is he talking about? He's just finishing the race. He's ready to go. Okay, it's really good. Okie doke, and that's uh, Billy Wood, Bobby Hillen's crew chief here, next AJ Point man, hoping this young driver can get in there for it. Back to you, Ken. One lap to go, and he'll be back underway. Unsubstantiated reports that Chris Economaki used a Mexican speed wrench oh, shortly Lord. after this interview. Hey, come on, let's talk about Mike Joy. He about made poor Darrell Walter Blues' religion right there. I mean, yeah. he just kept needling it. We got green paint on your car. Well, I guess you never had a chance anyway. What the? Yeah, I mean, this is the point in the season where Daryl is just overdriving for Junior Johnson. Yeah. He was ready to move on, and I don't know, I wasn't in the race anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you want me Plain to say? Plain and simple. I mean, Walter wasn't going to call nobody out. He wasn't stupid. No, 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 no. He didn't know. He, he still needed a ride later on. Yeah, and then and then Economaki, you know, asking Billy Wood about rough driving from Hillen and, and Wood just being kind of an ass. Yeah. Which I, I guess, you know, looking at it from his side, what are you going to say? Bobby's driving like a moron. We don't know why. <laughs> yeah, he's hit everything. I've told him to hit the pace car. Yeah, but I mean, Economac, you could tell that that graded Economacki <laughs> just a little bit. He's like, okie dokie. <laughs> See, if I'd been Economacki, I'd have just whispered to him, do you want me to send Mike over here? 
Yeah, you want me? You want me to send Joy over here? He's got AJ still with him. <laughs> <laughs> we can take care of this real fast. Um, we're ready for the green. We got Davy Allison, Hillen, Benny Parsons, Morgan Shepard. Where did he come from? And Rick Wilson now the top five. Allison jumps out quick, but he's ran down by um, Bobby Hillen, who takes the lead. Benny Parsons and uh, Morgan Shepard goes with him. Mike Joy goes to interview Harry Gant, and we have another crash. So we don't get... We wanted to hear what Gant had to say, and then we don't get it because we have a crash with Ken Reagan and Alan Kowicki. They want to know what happened to Gant. Joy says that off-camera, Harry said that he got hit, but he wouldn't say who. And Neil says that Harry will discuss it with the person <laughs> responsible. The other two laugh. Um, they discuss food again, and they're apparently jealous that MRN is getting more or better food than them. I'm not exactly sure what the food yeah. fight is about. Let's talk about healing right here for a second, though. All right, you've done pissed off Elliot, Big E, and Harry freaking Gant. Yeah. Harry Gant. Harry Gant. Of all people, Harry yeah, Gant. Harry Gant is mad. He is mad. Yeah, he is not That's like saying that the Pope is mad. <laughs> yeah. It, this reminds me of when the Pope slapped that lady because she tried to kiss his ring during this whole debacle with the coronavirus. I mean, come on, people. Yeah, but yes, yeah, so Hillen was not a popular... He had some people lining up for him after this race. If he wouldn't have won the race, that might have been what got him the win. He was motivated to yeah. get to victory lane because he knew he'd have more security around him. Yeah, his crew chief's up there. Now listen, if you don't win, you know they're going to whip that ass. ass. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to whip that butt. Um, so back to green, Hillen drop kick back, and Bobby Allison takes the lead. Richmond right there. Rusty Wallace in the 15 coming up through there. Um, Hillen back on the inside of uh, Richmond for second. Three wide for second. Benny Parsons makes a move all the way down to the apron. Um, Richmond makes a move by the 22 for the lead. 12 to go. My God, this they were racing. Yeah, they were just taking turns of who was going to pass who and where. And from first to fifth, it was just anybody could have been in yeah, there. And nobody's backing out of anything here. Um, Bobby Allison is the only former winner at Talladega still running. He's second. Uh, the top two trying to get away. Um, a wad for fourth on back. Hillen gets by Allison for second. And then Hillen by Richmond. He almost wrecks him. Now you've pissed off Richmond. Yeah, now Richmond's mad too. Rusty Wallace inside of Richmond. And then we have uh, Bobby Allison makes it three wide by both of them. And Allison also... I think this is where he almost went into the grass as low as he got on the front stretch. So the top 12 are basically all together. They're all over the place. Six to go. You've got Hillen, Allison, Rusty Wallace, and um, the 25 of Richmond, the top four. Wallace outside of Allison for second. Ken Squire says, this could be the most dramatic finish in stock car racing history. He's, it could be. Yeah. Um, Hillen is really strong. The 15 and the 25 side-by-side side for second. Four laps to go. Marlin up to fourth. And then he goes three wide for second, and he clears them both. I mean, Marlin, again, it's like you don't see him, and now out of nowhere, here comes Sterling. Yeah, it's just like Kevin Harvick. I mean, when it comes to the end of the race, oh, there, where'd he come from? Yeah. Bobby Allison, three wide by Kyle Petty and Rick Wilson, and now under Rusty Wallace. We have Hillen and um, Sterling trying to pull away with three laps to go. We get Richmond back to the bumper of uh, Sterling, and then we got another big draft again. 
the 15 car is outside and buy the 25 for third. And then we'll let you bring them, we'll let them bring us home for this dramatic finish. There they are, all gathered together. We decided here for one position. Now you see another move on the inside. Here comes Allison. Bobby Allison down low. Starting in between cars. I think Allison's playing where he wants to be. crazy finish good lord everybody was bouncing around i know we just we watching that i mean hill and you give him got to give him credit for being in the right place at the right time to win that race he had a lot of good fortune go his way though at the end first of all sterling marlin gets behind him and i don't think his car was as fast as some of these others so he couldn't suck up and pull around hill no, he he. Got, it's one of them deals where he could catch up to you and use the draft to get on your bumper, but he wasn't able to make the pass out there by himself. So what happened was everybody that was behind Marlin kept trying to pass each other. You, I mean, Allison, uh, Wallace, Richmond, and all these others are all just going back and forth constantly. Rick Wilson, we just rewatched it. And then you get to the last lap, and when you might have some guys that could make a move... They all wreck in the first turn right behind yeah. Hill and except um, re- except Rusty and Tim Richmond. Yeah, and they weren't going to help each other to pass him. So you no, no. Him. I mean, Rusty, it seemed like every time somebody would drop down to try to make a run on Hill and whoever was in third was going outside the guy in second. So yeah. nobody ever would go with the guy in second to make the move on Hill. And Hill, and he just, he knew what he was doing. He held it up there. Um I mean, you got to give him credit. He won the race, but he had a lot of good fortune go his way. I, I still go back to he better give the Lord his soul because everybody else was coming for a piece of that ace. Yeah, it was it was a um, interesting finish to say the least. And then, man, that was a vicious crash on the last lap. The way uh, Rick Wilson hit that wall head on was almost exactly the way Earnhardt hits the yeah. wall head on in 2001 and it's um, just weird you know just a few fractions of an inch can be the difference between you know life and death and yeah i mean he walked and, away yeah no no problem um so 
That was a good finish. Oh, yeah, they had a replay from Bobby Allison's in-car. Goodness. God almighty, as much as he was bouncing. And he was watching. You, you know, anymore you see the guys, basically, when they get in a wreck like that, they take their hands off the wheel, they pull their hands to their chest, and I think they close their eyes. Yeah. And just and wait till it stops hitting. He's holding onto the wheel. He's looking around <laughs> as his his neck's getting bounced all over the place. God. Yeah, he's he's still driving through the wreck, you know. Yeah, he's still trying to drive through the crash, and he's get he got hit like seven or eight times. Yeah, it's no wonder we have to have the Hans device now, because I mean, my time. His head goes from what the passenger seat would be plumb out the window looked like. Yeah. And he's strapped down with yeah. a five point harness. I mean, it wasn't like he was using seatbelts. No, um, so what a what a wild finish. We'll let uh, Bobby Hillen give you his uh, his thoughts here in Victory Lane. Hey, I got to thank the Lord for a good, safe race and for bringing my career so far. This Miller American Buick ran super, and thank Miller, the beer, Buick, all pros, Savola Brothers. Still got some air, huh? My grandfather, who got me started, is here today, Orion Hill, and my dad back home, all of them have been great to me. And Ron Perrier and Billy Woodruff, my crew chief and team manager, and all the Savola Brothers Miller American crew. I can't believe it. We know it's great, but look, what's this big mark on your car here? Uh, great. Uh, what what kind of a day was it for uh, close traffic for you? There was some beating and banging, and, and uh, you know, when Harry Gant and Phil Parsons lost it, they were beating and banging. I think they hit, and it slowed Gant enough, and I tapped him, and they were both gone, and they were just beating and banging. I don't know why uh, they were beating and banging, but they were, and then... Uh, you know, we just got a clear shot off of it. On the last restart, we didn't get going good, but we came back on Okay, congratulations. And make the most of it, uh, Bobby. Back to you, Ken Squire. Make the most of it, Bobby. I mean, for Chris Conomack, he's like, you'll never win again. Yeah, and he didn't. <laughs> no, I mean, no. Hillen was actually a pretty good NASCAR driver. He didn't. He wound up not having the good equipment later on. And um, He's only 22 years old. He's the youngest winner in NASCAR history at this point. He looks... I mean, Bobby Allison's teammate, he looks like a future superstar, though. Yeah, and uh, let's face it, if he was in wrestling, he would be the definition of a baby face just by his looks. But Oh, yeah, he was the white meat baby yeah, face. Who, who knows, this? all these people he wrecked in this race might have hurt him on down the line trying to get better rides. Yeah, maybe that's why he was crying in victory yeah. lane. He's actually worried about what's going to happen when he got back to the trailer. Either, either that or Earnhardt and him were on the other side of the fence just, <laughs> just, pounding, just pounding their, their fist. Yeah, here <laughs> we go. Oh, man. So Bobby Hillen wins, Richmond second, Ricky Rudd third, gets credit for third with the car being driven by Rusty Wallace. Sterling Marlin, Benny Parsons fifth, Morgan Shepard, Davey Allison seventh, Joe Rutman, Kyle Petty, Bobby Allison tenth. Nine cautions for 44 laps, 49 lead changes. Good Lord. Origin of victory, three car lengths, um, nine cars finishes on the lead lap. It would have been 12 without that last lap crash. 26 cars DNF. <laughs> 26 cars. Only 14. That's Only 14 big, finish, and it's one of the best races you've ever seen. Yes. Uh, point standings after Talladega. Dale Earnhardt still on top. Darrell Waltrip second, minus 161. Richmond up to third, minus 185. Bobby Allison, minus 258 and fourth. Ricky Rudd, minus 292 and fifth. Bill Elliott all the way down in six. Rusty Wallace, Terry Labonte, Kyle Petty, and Bobby Hillen Jr. gets into the top ten in points. Andy, what do you think about this Talladega race? Oh, this was right up there, one of the best races this year. But 
so far through the 86 season, there hasn't been a whole lot of bad races or even mm. bad, boring moments in races. They're always racing somewhere in the pack. Yeah, they're always racing somewhere. So, um, what, um, we'll give the awards for this last race because the other two's not fair to try to give awards for. There wasn't enough to see. No. Um, last, this, this race, who's your driver of the race? Uh, well, you you got to give it to Hillen. He he won the race. He did what he had to at the end. Uh, Richmond would be a close second, maybe, you know, because he was driving the wheels off of it. I'll give it to Hillen, but second I'd give to Sterling Marlin. True. He, Just because, uh, I mean, yeah. he put himself in the position to almost win in Haas Ellington's car. Um, what was uh, your most surprising moment about this race? What was the thing that stuck out? I'd have to. I know this ain't part of the race, but just the behind the scenes of the feedback that you get to hear on the satellite feed, where you hear how they're talking when you're in commercial, it, it was some of the most entertaining dialogue with the best race, so or one of the best races of the year. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times the raw feed makes up for a bad race, but this one just there was there was no bad race. It was good feed, good race, plenty of interesting behind the scenes stuff. So definitely. Um, what, uh, who'd you give your goodies headache powder award to this, this week? Oh, it had to be Harry Gant. I mean, he, he took a lick. He did <laughs> hard. Yeah. And he was up front and had a pretty good car looked like. And so, you know, I'd say he did have a pretty good headache. You know, going back to driver of the race or somebody else I'll add, Rusty Walsh. Yeah. Jumping in Ricky Red's car. Well, that, that was something. That, oh, and it's a four. Yeah. I mean, Walsh drives the two by two Pontiac. He's, he drives the Pontiac. He jumps in a Ford. Yeah, and you got to remember, uh, Ricky Rudd is not a big fella. Rusty Wallace is pretty tall, you know. They, they, yeah, I mean, they, he didn't fit in the seat right, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, there's all kinds of things there, and he still drove it. And who knows, that was probably a good audition for him for a better ride later on. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, the, the 27 team improves, though. It keeps getting better. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely an eye-opener to see Rusty jump in Ricky's car and run better than Ricky was running. But maybe Ricky wasn't running... Running as well as he would yeah. because he had he did have the flu. He had the flu in hundred degree weather. He had the Hong Kong swine flu. Was that Dutch Mantel? What the what do you call it? The Hong Kong. Uh, the Hong Kong flu. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> he had some sort of flu. Hong he Kong bovine influenza. Yeah, or he something. had the Dutch Mantel flu. And if you don't know what that is, look up a Smoky Mountain podcast that we used to do that we may do again someday. We're thinking about kicking that back into gear if you like wrestling. Um... So what do you think? Closing thoughts on Talladega. What a race. I mean, they was passing all the way through. It wasn't just bumper to bumper all the time. You'd have people. You, it goes back to the time when you could actually use the draft to pass somebody instead of getting up to them. And then when you pull out, you hit a wall of air and just stops you. Yeah, you actually could slingshot around somebody, use the air to pull around. So what would you give the race rating then? I mean, out of 100. Oh, this had to be like a 97. I mean, this was, it was probably one of the best ones I had. I have to go high because it's Talladega, it's wide open, there's no restrictor plates yet. Great race. Yeah, and I'll, I'll go probably that high too. I told um, Howie in our interview that it may have been my favorite race in 1986, and that's saying a lot because we've already had 
that Richmond Fairgrounds race, which was one of my favorite races ever. But going back and rewatching this race, it stands up. Yeah, th- this is the reason that I left a little bit of room on the Richmond race because I want everything in me when I saw it. I wanted to put it like ninety nine or something, but I was like, nah, they might be something better. Come on, and I'm glad I did. Yeah. Okay. So um, we will uh, move on next week, and I think it's going to be a one race show. I think. Let's hope so. Um, because the next race is Watkins Glen, which I think the entirety of the race is online. So I think the next show will be one race instead of three and one, because this was a long show for us. Yes. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I had enough stamina for it, but I'm ready for a nap. Yes, sir. Okay. So, um, like I said, like we've said before, if you want to check our show out, you know where to find us. We're on iTunes, uh, Google play music, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. Um, you can join our Facebook group, Racing Through Time. Interact with us there. And uh, we will be back for probably another coronavirus version of Racing Through Time next week when we tackle the Watkins Glen Road Course here on the Racing Through Time podcast. So for Andy Waddell, this is Ricky Wittenberg and another Racing Through Time in the books. <laughs>